tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme this morning. Now, coming up on the show, more listeners sharing their frustrations on the condition of our roads. Uh, budgeting for winter. One listener will share some cost-effective tips ahead of uh, Budget 2024, of course, which will uh, be announced uh, tomorrow. I'll be speaking to Senator Ronan uh, Mullen, uh, who recently spoke on uh, transgender issues in the Shannon. Very, very interesting piece, in fact, uh, if you want to have a look at it uh, online. Uh, World Mental Health Day takes place tomorrow. We'll speak about that. And uh, we have global politics with Thomas Conway. So all of that and much, much more on the way. Um, you can text on WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm. Dot com And uh, we're delighted to tell you we have a prize for you uh, today. We have a €100 Euro voucher to give away for the Mr. Mr. Clearance Sale that's uh, happening at Kilcorn Lodge Hotel on this coming Thursday, the 12th of October. And it will run right through until Sunday the 15th. So it's a great opportunity to pick up a bargain there. Anyway, we have that €100 Euro to give away and it's based on your interaction with us by text and a WhatsApp. And if you want to put Mr. Mr. at the end of your contribution, we will pop you in to the draw. I know there's uh, opportunities there to pick up all sorts of blazers and jackets and jeans and knitwear and shirts and chinos and all sorts of stuff at uh, bargain basement of prices and all of that. All right, then, uh, let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers uh, today. Um, it's uh, budget talk across most of the newspapers and, of course, also coverage of that attack on Israel. Um, the Irish Daily Mail, they're leading with uh, last-minute tensions on budget for the family. Hostility, seemingly, among coalition ministers towards the health minister and the public expenditure minister is growing as pre-budget talks run into today. And the health minister, Stephen Donnelly, he's being blamed for the chaotic lead into what sources claim is a family-friendly budget to the Irish Times and dominated by a photograph of just sheer chaos and uh, rubble and uh, you know it's uh, Israelis in Tel Aviv inspecting the rubble of a, a building a day after it was hit by a rocket fired from the Gaza Strip during that surprise assault by Hamas uh, over the weekend but it's just a, a photograph of absolute destruction like something from a from, from a movie or something like that and uh, also the Irish Times telling us that Israel formally declared a state of war yesterday as the death toll from Saturday's Hamas cross-border attack rose to more than 700 uh, with more than 2,000 wounded and the Israeli government uh, officials confirming that more than 100 people, civilians and soldiers were seized by militants and taken to Gaza including young children and elderly citizens as well and I'm not sure if you saw some of the uh, videos uh, over the weekend, but certainly absolutely awful stuff indeed. Also more talk about the budget on the Irish Times as well. Seemingly people who lose their jobs could receive higher welfare payments linked to their salaries 
while mortgage holders could be in line for supports worth more than €1,000 as part of Budget 24. The Irish Examiner also telling us that budget to benefit working families, pensioners and carers. And again, coverage of the attack on Israel there. And as Pat told you during news, it was another dreadful, dreadful weekend on our roads. Five people died and five Separate incidents on the country's roads over the weekend, bringing the number of fatalities so far this year to 144. The Irish Independent telling us that budget plans for €1,000 mortgage interest tax breaks. And again, um, just a dreadful, dreadful photograph uh, dominating the front page of the uh, Independent uh, today of bodies covered over with, with sheets and, uh, you know, just images of war. Absolutely, absolutely horrendous. Anyway, that's a look at the headlines. If you want to make comment on any of that, we'd love to hear from you. Lots of housekeeping to do for you this morning because, of course, the Tip FM Best of Tip Awards in association with uh, Tipperary County Council and the local Enterprise Office. Well, voting will begin in earnest today at 6pm. The shortlist will be announced throughout the day. I know that Gavin uh, Davin even uh, brought you um, some of that on the barbershops uh, earlier on in the morning. Um, but right now, let's tell you the shortlist for the best beauty salon. The shortlist is Exquisite Beauty in Natasha Doyle in Kilfeekel, uh, Katie McGovern Beauty in Littleton, Lavish Beauty Lounge in Clonmel, Lure Beauty Clinic in Tipperary Town, and Urban Escape Beauty Salon in Carrick and Shure. So well done to all of you. Uh, that is the shortlist there. The best breakfast roll. Uh, that is Mars Landis in Clonmel, Ryan's of Ballycahill, Sheedy Centre in Nina, the Tower Bakery, Bakery in Thurles, and Woodview Service Station in Care. So that's the short list there, as I say, voting. Um, opening up this evening from 6 o'clock. Now on Friday we spoke to Noel about ramps and indeed conditions on our roads and a lot of our listeners were in touch and uh, Margaret joins me now. Good morning to you, Margaret. Uh, good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Margaret, and thank you for hanging on for us uh, there. Um, you responded to that conversation and you were telling me about, is it the Foyle Clara Road to Dune? Uh, Foyle Clara to Dune and Croc McGain, Renavana, all that area, like that's very rural. But the problem is nobody is looking after us. Now, the whole place is full of potholes. I complained, so did my neighbour, so did some other people. And they came out and put a few, few shovels or something in there. It was gone in a few days. Now, my cows have cost nearly a thousand. Between this broke, that broke. If you, especially one hole, you go into it, you would not come out of it safe. And okay. the thing is, the down near the valley, coming down about two, three miles from my house, the road is actually falling in. Now, that's falling in about two months and electric poles. Now, they were supposed to be fixing that. They have the cones up, but they're not fixing it. Now, the problem with that road is they're using it to go to Tullus. And when you go down, you could meet anything coming up at a terrible speed. And the biggest problem is, again, now I've rang Limerick County Council about this, there's no bushes cut. So because because I presume you're right on the, the border there, are you, Margaret? Are we talking about, by the way, between Kappa White and Dune, up that way, is it? No, we're talking about Falakira uh, to Dune, and we're talking about Dune to Kilcommon, and we're talking about the roundabout then back down to Dune again. Okay, okay. You know, right. So 
over by Rinavana, you know, down that area yes. in particular. And now, is part of the problem that you're on the border there between Tipperary and Limerick? Is that part no, of it's not, it's not the problem. The problem is the county council are doing nothing at all for us up here since donkey's years. They have done cut the bushes and a man was sitting here. I won't say his name from the county council, the head of county council a month ago. And he told me flat out, my bushes, no, the bushes on the road would not be cut because the shops left over him and Ryan because blah, blah, blah. They might be cut in September. Now we're into the, uh, in mm. October. Now the bushes, when the bad storm was there last Wednesday, there was a few trees down. No one removed them and no one came out to see was anybody okay. Now you go into Dune then and you go up to Spa, the only big shop that's in Dune. Mm. And when you come out of that, the cars coming from Dundrum and they're coming from Dune up the other side. Now, you come out of that, that cross. Now, there should be a mirror there to tell you does a car come on left or does a car come on right and to save to go out. Mm. I don't know how many times I've nearly got killed there. It's, it's very dangerous. In. I know it very well, Margaret. It's very do dangerous. You, yeah. I do indeed, it is yes. very dangerous. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable because... You have the school, we had the school of convent, mm. and they never once did nothing about that. And then coming into doing itself, I mean, you've all children, you mm. know, and there's no rams that can stop the cows, they just keep flying. And yet you have the out. graveyard there as well, where, where funerals yeah, are concerned. Uh, you have yeah. the graveyard right there where I'm yeah. talking about where that mirror should be, that you can see exactly whether there's a car coming from the left or the right, or whatever, that you can actually come out from the road because you're sticking your nose out with the car yeah, yeah. and you can't see nothing. Now, the same applies to going into Tipperary. Mm. When you, the junction, there was a crash there last week. I'm not surprised anywhere. Mm. In Ula and Monard, I haven't seen a car there in my lifetime and I'm old now. In your, in your lifetime, Margaret? No, My God. never seen a girl pulling up for speeding. Mm. They're going through those two villages like there's no tomorrow. Mm. And they're, they're passing you even sometimes. And the thing about it is, you know, there should be a ram coming into that village, both villages, mm. and stopping them cows going through. Because there's, again, there's a church, there's schools, there's everything. Mm. Nobody does nothing. And then you're coming on to the junction and there is the big bump over the road. That's where the crash was last week. Now, there's nothing yes. to stop the cows there of going right into that bump, going over and don't care. They just don't care. The speed of course, going on that's, that's the area that they're talking about doing the bypass uh, as well. Um, uh, look, yeah. They're talking about bypasses in Tipperary yeah. for the last 30 years. Where do you see any sign up for a bypass? Well, they will it, never. Yeah, it, it, it'll be ten. Yeah. It'll be ten years, I suppose. Anyway, realistically, uh, at, at this point, yeah. um, but, do, do you do you feel forgotten about then, Margaret? Is that it? Well, the, the whole I area there. Now, I have no refuge collection, and Eamon Ryan has gone on and on and on about you know, about how to keep the sea and you can't burn this and you can't burn that, you yeah. can't do anything. Now, I've no refuge collection, nor either have my neighbours. We've no ring a ling bus. Right. I have 
nothing in that area up there for older people. Mm. We are left as forgotten, totally forgotten. So if you and can't if you can't drive your car, you're isolated. Then is that it? You I'm have... isolated unless my daughter or my brother or one of my boys, anybody, to come up and get me. You're I not you're not driving it. yourself, Margaret. Obviously, then at no. the moment I have terrible problems with my back, my knees, and oh, other problems. Right. I have a lot of sickness and. Uh, actually, I was in with my very good doctor in Tip uh, last Tuesday, mm. and he said to me, would you think about moving into Tip? And I said, that's not a solution, because that's my home. Of course. It's where I was born, and I bought it for to retire here. And I don't want to move, because I'm not ready to move. Why should I move? Because the council decides they won't do anything. The bushes was never cut in I don't know when. And when you yes. hear the likes of Eamon Ryan then talking about, you know, uh, public transport and using that as an option to keep cars off, do you get cross? I feel like I get sick, not get cross. I swear, look, Eamon Ryan would just literally make me sick because he is for no turf and people all my life and my father gave all his life to him in the bog. Yeah. That was a main source of income you know, that you wouldn't have to spend yourself. We mm. could do it ourselves. And and when he tells you, Margaret, that, you know, burning tough, it was poisoning you and it was putting particles in the air and all of that. Does... Why, why did it not poison people 50 years ago? Yeah. My mother and father gave all their lifetime uh, burning tough. Yeah. And either of them didn't die from fumes of tough. They both died from cancer of a different thing. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about this, he's saying, right, the wildlife, they have to have the bushes on the road. Do they have to have the bushes on the road all year round? Yeah. It's at some point that you don't think about the people on the road that are getting killed one after another at the moment because they cannot see what's coming at the other side. Now, yesterday, there was someone, I was in a car and I was being tailgated. He couldn't wait to get past me. And then, that has, and I can honestly tell you, it was an inch between that and the other cows coming from the other side. My God. And the problem is, they cannot see at all what's coming because of the bushes. You know, and I have yeah. fought with loads of councils for the Ringling bus. I've been told I'd have to wait three hours in Dune to go to Tip or Limerick. They go to Tullus, but they don't go to Tip. Tip is my home as good as. Yes, but you'd have to get I, into Dune anyway then from, from your home, yes, sure. And I'd no way of getting to Dune. Right, yeah. I could one time when I was at the cycle, but that day is long gone. But that ain't me only. Yes. Neighbours here and their elderly neighbours. They need some bit of, you know, I'm fighting for them too and, you know, them misfortunes are ringing too and down along, there's a few good, really good farmers, and they're trying to cut the bits of the road themselves. But you know, but the roads are in such bad condition with potholes. Yes, but you, you you know, Margaret, that it is the obligation of the farmers themselves and the landowners during that pocket when they can cut the ditches. It's their responsibility to do well, that. You know that, don't you? I'm getting on to that. I do, yeah. Yeah. Down about a mile from my house. I'll tell you now, they are responsible. 
Well, how responsible is this? Somebody, uh, uh, a big, big guy, 10 foot deep and 4 foot wide and cut the bushes nearly down to the ground a mile long. Mm. Now, I thought to bring the council out to look at that, put nothing up as uh, those little eyes that you see in the night, mm. because my family drive up here to look at that. Mm. He sat me in the car three weeks ago, took me down and he said to me, it, it's lethal dangerous. He said, if a car go into yeah. that on its way up or on its way down, he said, that gone. It's very dangerous indeed. All right, Margaret, well, I I must leave it there, but uh, thank you so much for highlighting those issues for us. And uh, do look after yourself out there anyway, Margaret, won't you? I will, and thanks, Brent, and I love your show, and I love Andrew as well every morning. Ah, you're very kind. And and I'll pass on on your good wishes to Andrew. Thank you so much, Margaret. Thank you. Thank you, and bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Margaret there, who's living close to Dune, I suppose, in the in that uh, area there on the Limerick border. And Anne joins me now. Anne, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you this morning? I'm very well indeed. Anne, we moved to, to the Ballingarry area in your case, oh, Anne. Don't talk to me. I'm, to listen to that lady, I couldn't agree more with her. It's gone beyond the joke. I often said if I could get hold of him and Ryan, I know where I put him living in Tuffish, leaving him on. Why, why particularly, Anne? Why? Oh, look at I'm more out. Well, I go up and down that road very, very often. Mm. And you know where Bellingary, which used to be Bellingary Convent? Of course, I know it well, yes. Well, that crossroad there, there's three corners there. Yes. And it's a crossroad. Those three corners can be taken out and a roundabout put there. Mm. And all the ditch cut back because it's a death trap. You're edging your way to look right, look left, and you get the nose taken off you. It is, there's been accidents there, but there's going to be one tragic one with loss of life, and nobody listens to the people when they try to talk to them. No, you're just a number. Forget it. You know? And have you tried to make calls, Anne, and all of that? Have oh, you? look what I have, but I get nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And and is it a case that is, is it pulling out from from the where, where the convent is? Is it pulling out onto uh, the main road there, is it? Um, I'm going with, say, to say if I'm going to Hurlingford, right? Yes. Now, that's the crossroad, and you're edging, edging to go out, and you really can't see right nor left, and it's the same coming back. Now, I often go down there to Glen Gould, and it's much the same you go down Carnage Hill. You're taking your life in your own hand because it's a T-junction there, and you're going around that bend to the left, and it is a dangerous bend all the way around. You know, you could go around the country, Fran, and I am not joking you. I listened to that lady about the ditches out mm, the road, and yeah. that is for sure. You know, but you see, it is the responsibility at this point of the land owners. But do, the local yes, authority, do they need to police this? In some I definitely way? think so. Yes, definitely, yeah. they should get on to people. And as for what is needed here too in Mullinhorn, is a footpath from Kilahi Street all the way up to the graveyard. So mm. the, the traffic is going very heavy up and down the road. And is there any path there at all? And well, there is a small path up as far as the playground, but it's not very sufficient because it's broken and it's really yes. dangerous. Right, but you know, a lot of traffic on that road? There, oh, yes, yeah. big time, big time. Yeah. Uh, they've done a great job down Carrick Street, but it's a pity they couldn't finish the rest of it up around the other street, you, you know? You said in your text to us, Anne, you'd like to meet the engineers. Yes. Well, I really would, and bring them around and show them what to be done. A child could draw it out and say, this, this, 
has to be done. I would really love to meet him. I would. Yeah. You know, it, it just drives me mad. Because I often go up to bed and Gary now Tuesday evening, and I'm not the only one. I'm sure Melda Goldsberry would tell you the very same. She mm. has the problem that can't get through. Seems to be a no-win situation trying to get those jobs done. And, Anne, in your experience, are things worse now? Is it more difficult to get action on something now, oh, do you think? Oh, big time. Big yeah. time. Yes, there is. I mean, I don't know what it is. They don't listen to the people. That's all that's wrong with them. And mm. then they haven't time. There's so much cutbacks. I think there was a lot more people working on the roads years ago when we were growing up. There's nobody now on the council to do jobs. Everything is let out. You know? Yeah. It's really, it's actually, it can be very, very annoying. It really is. And is that the, the general thinking among the people you would know, for example? Yes, anyone yeah. I've met to say the same thing. People yes. are cross about it, but they're not being listened to, you no, think? No, nobody listens to anybody anymore. No. And it's the same for trying to... Uh, you know what makes me laugh is these electric cars. Mm. And people to drive these electric cars. They're very expensive. I mm. don't drive one. Mm. But no, uh, it's me. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They want everything run on electric. But who's going to pay the bills? The price of electric is after going to the roof. You know? Yeah, it's it's interesting. You you mentioned Imelda Goldsburn, and I know Imelda does fantastic work in, does, in, in, in that area. Work. But do you sometimes feel with councillors as well that even they're not being listened no, to? No, they're not. They're not yeah. being listened to. No. Yeah. No, and it's sad. It really is. You're trying your best to talk to people and you're just... It's a death ear, really. And the local elections next year, um, they'll be interesting, Anne, because well, all, be interesting. all of these things will be yep. coming up for discussion, you know? And they will. I'll have a word with whoever knocks the door, but if they don't do anything about it, they won't be getting my vote. I yeah. won't vote for people that don't do... They were in those jobs. All because of us people, you know, yeah. or because of us. And they're getting good money, but they're not doing the jobs they're paid for. So you'll be asking questions? Oh, you bet I will. All yeah. Right. All right, Anne. Always lovely to talk to you, Anne. We go back a long way. And yes. uh, thank, thank you, you thank you so much, Anne. And I do enjoy your programme. You're very kind, Anne. Look after yourself and thank you very yeah, much and indeed. Thanks a million, friend. God bless. Bye-bye to you. That's Bye. Anne in uh, Mulnahone. Um, uh, Councillor Anne-Marie Ryan was on to us very promptly and thank you for that Anne-Marie and she says there is a door-to-door service with uh, Local Link and I'm happy to work with Margaret to see if we can arrange door-to-door service for her and uh, Anne-Marie says it's fine to uh, put Margaret in contact so uh, we will do that and thanks very much indeed for that Um, uh, Joe says the caller is 1000% right Uh, some hedges are a disgrace Um, farmers are brilliant they cut hedges yearly while um, some do, some don't. Uh, council passed the book to the farmers, but somebody also needs to be in charge from the council if the farmers are not cutting the hedges. The council needs to take over and cut them and build the farmers if necessary. I drive school buses on bad roads and we are forced to go around bends in the middle of the road. Uh, if we keep in, we will lose a mirror worth a few thousand euro, says Joe, and that certainly is an issue indeed. Fran, I agree with the lady on the rural roads, uh, rural Ireland, forgotten about Eamon Ryan. Eamon Ryan, again. Eamon Ryan living in Dublin with no idea what it's like to be in rural Tipperary, says one of our listeners. All right, then, much more coming in on that uh, as well. I'll have a glance through it and I'll bring it to you in just a moment. It's uh, 28 past nine right now. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, the Late Late Show Country Music Special is one of the most popular episodes of the year, second only to uh, the Toy Show, uh, where demand for audience tickets. Uh, are concerned. Uh, Patrick Kilty's uh, fourth uh, Late Late Show happened on Friday night in his very first country music special. He was joined by uh, Phil Begley and uh, Father Brian Darcy. Declan Ernie was there. I know uh, our own Una Healy was there. Nathan Carter, Cleona Hagen, Michael English and Jerry Guthrie to name but a few. I think Ashling Rafferty was there as, as well. Tipperary's uh, Ashling. Uh, one of our listeners, Patrick, uh, tuned into the programme. He gave me a bit of a giggle over the weekend and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Patrick. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm good, but you did make me laugh because you had sort of two opinions on the Late Late Show. You were a bit grumpy on Friday night and you sort of, you turned well, it off. No, Is that it? I, I, I tell you now, I had a hard week because I started as a new course and I spent all day every day on front of the computer screen and I sat down to watch this Friday night and I went, back this now and turn that shite off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and tell me what happened then. You sort of, you, you calmed yourself down then and you had a good night's sleep and you, you took another look. Was yeah. that it? And after much discussion then with my friend Helen on Saturday morning, she had said she really enjoyed it. So I went, like this now, I had the to myself on Saturday to wind down. So I put it on and I watched it and um, all I can say is I had to do a complete U-turn and eat my words. Right. It was a brilliant show. I thought he was so much more relaxed and um, his interaction uh, I thought it was fantastic the way he got up and drive with Philomena and he joined in on the song and I thought his um, interaction with that lovely couple in the audience before mm. Nathan Carter came out absolutely 10 out of 10 I ate my words Frank I ate my words well, the, it, well it's, it's a big man Will will say he was wrong and, and fair play to you for doing that I suppose his skill as an entertainer would have made him ideal for that kind of show, Patrick. Is that is that really what yes, it is? You know. Yes, but the previous week as well, I heard you discussing it, and I had switched it off before that gentleman came on to talk about his little boy passing away. Yes, and that was the kind of interview that I I think I was hoping for us to start to put him to the test. But he coped with that one very very well. I thought he was very genteel and very kind. Yeah. Um, but look, as we discussed four weeks ago, France, I did say I'd give it a go. I wouldn't rule it out completely. And the, you know, I'm a big country music fan, friend. And no, for, uh, Friday night slash watching it back on Saturday morning, um, he sold that show to me. He really sold himself to me. I thought, yeah, keep going like this now, kiddo, and you've got it. Well, fair play. Can I put some of the critique to you, though, um, that I saw on t- Twitter were vicious about it now, I have to say. Um, they, they were making the point, a lot of same old, same old guests, same old, same old stories. People questioning whether Tumbling Paddies were really country or that was Sharon Shannon really yeah. country. Uh, some They were some of the criticism, Patrick. Do you want to take up any of that? Well, I totally disagree with that, Fran, because in previous lines up, you would have had Margot, Daniel O'Donnell. Um, yes. I, I enjoyed his interview with Sandy Kelly, huge fan of her. Yeah. Johnny Cash, um, who we all know she did a lot of touring and songs with. Yeah. But I thought it was fantastic to see the likes of Leona Hegan, uh, Derry Grimes, 
the younger the younger upcoming mm. artists because the whole the whole concept of a show like that is to produce all Irish to promote all Irish country music, not just Okay, Spillamy and the Begley is a legend and at eighty one, mm. my God, there's the woman. She's okay. fantastic for eighty one, isn't she? Um, yeah. you know, but mixed of old and young artists and um mm. I love the little game where they all had it stops on the song and they all have to sing it. And of course, um Leona Hagen sang Jolie, one yeah. of my favourite songs. Big Dolly Parton fan. Yeah. No, I think the overall there was a very good mix on throughout the whole program and um, yeah. again I take it back to what one of your previous speakers said um, in the first week or two he has only got the show is more condensed now he's got 90 minutes as opposed to the two hours mm. Mm. so I, I think the man did brilliant fair play to him 10 out of 10 well, it's good. It, it, you know, it's it's amazing. You can't please all of the people all of the time because, as you say, Daniel wasn't there, but of course he was at every other uh, country mm-hmm. music special and he was on the Late Late Show on separate occasions uh, as well. But, funnily enough, on Twitter, again, some people giving out that Daniel wasn't there and that he should have been there and stuff. So you can't please everybody. Sure you can't. No, it's like anything in life. Um, what you might like, I might despise. What yeah. I might like, you might hate. Um, but... No, look, as I said, but from the start, I criticised him for the first two episodes in particular. I didn't like them. I didn't like the layout, the format. Um, but I did say I'd give it a chance, and I'm giving it a chance. And thoroughly enjoyed the show um, this weekend. Mm. And I will be tuning in again. Um, if there's a topic I don't like, I can switch over. The, the remote control is not glued to the workshop. And to people who would have said, Patrick, because you, you're you're straight up with me here, you're saying you're a fan of country music, for people who would describe it as hick and it was a little nauseating with the couple in the audience, you know, it was on a little too much and it was a little syrupy and stuff, what, what do you say to people who would be critical in that fashion? I would say, well, obviously, it's, it's obviously not their taste in music. I mean, I have friends come into the house and if I've got my favourite Dolly Parton or Kane Hogan, um, or Nathan Carter out of they go, oh, Jesus, not again, can you turn that off? <laughs> and, yeah, you know, whack yeah. on Tina Turner or something. I'm like, yeah, but I like country music. Yeah. Sorry, still me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, music is something that's personal to everybody. Right? I mean, I can sit down and listen to the classics and, you know, um, Tina Turner, Madonna, I'm very, very taste of music. It's kind of country western music. Yeah. And I'm not apologising for that. I mean, if you don't like that style of show and music, well then, change channels. Yeah, yeah. You have lots of choice out there, of course. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There's loads of choice. But, yeah. you know, like I say, I put it up on Facebook. I apologise. I ate my hat. I ate my words. I did a U-turn. But I, that's why I put the two sentences up and, you know, yeah. Made it to the but do, do, do you know what you made me think when I saw you admitting that on Friday night you were a bit tired and emotional, <laughs> you needed mm. a bit of sleep and stuff, and you were grumpy? Isn't it amazing that, you know, your mood depends on how much you enjoy something too, isn't, isn't oh, it? Oh, God, yes, it yeah. does. And yeah. I have to say to you, I've started a new course now with San Miguel's Ireland, Brian, and it was a very exhausting, tiring week, and I'm not used to being on front of a computer screen that sure. long of a day. yeah. yeah. And I wasn't in the mood to watch it. So yeah. I went, God, this 
open air radio. I watched it again on Sunday. Ah, there, there, there you go now. Um, and, and just finally, I, I didn't see all of it because I was working, so I just watched some clips of it. He's well able to sing himself, though. I saw that with uh, Jerry Guthrie. Yes, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And um, I thought the joke between him jiving with Margot, and she said, you can't be doing that to an 81-year-old woman. It's great oh, sense of humor. It's Philomena, yeah. <laughs> Philomena, sorry, Philomena. That's, that's great. But no, overall, brilliant lineup. I think he done a fantastic job. All right, well, well done. And I will admit when I'm wrong, Brian. Well, well, as I say, you gave me a laugh anyway over the weekend, and, <laughs> and fair play to you for that, Patrick. Look after you. Best of luck uh, with the the new gig, by the way. And thanks, thanks for coming thanks on with us. Thanks, Patrick. Good. So that's uh, Patrick who changed his mind about the uh, Late Late Show. What are you making of that? Um, somebody else saying not enough of the up-and-coming singers uh, being promoted on the Country Music Late Late Show. And again, that was um, a fairly constant uh, critique over the weekend. Somebody else saying again to me, it's the same old people on the Late Late Show. Yeah, I, I, I kind of found it Declan Ernie, though. I was kind of glad that he was inducted into the, uh, the Country Music Hall of Fame. Now, whether that means anything to him or, you know, whether it boosts his gigs, or I don't know. I don't know, but but well-deserved because he has spent a lifetime playing and singing country music, I suppose. Uh, we'll take a break. We're back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Yeah, uh, Tina was on to us and uh, Tina's kind of cross about the whole discussion on uh, the Late Late Show in general. She said uh, the story is if you want to watch the Late Late Show, watch it. If not, just turn it off. No matter who sits in that chair, there will always be somebody finding fun. I'm not a fan of the Late Late, but I did enjoy the country music show. I'm on my way to a hospital appointment. Oh, Tina, well, I wish you the best where that is concerned. And thanks for taking time out to uh, to text us today on 083 We have that prize for you, uh, by the way. It's based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp uh, today. It's a €100 Euro voucher for the Mr. Mr. Clearance Sale that's happening at Kilcordon Lodge kicking off this Thursday, writing, running right through until Sunday. And that's a €100 Euro voucher, as I say, based on your text and WhatsApp on 083 If you put Mr. Mr. at the end of your contribution, give us your name as well, by the way, and uh, we'll pop you in uh, the draw. And I know there's all sorts of stuff uh, at uh, great prices there as well. There's blazers and jackets and chinos and polos and all sorts of... All sorts of wonderful clothing there. Now, an in-depth uh, survey of the earth on the grounds of the Sean Ross uh, Abbey Mother and Baby Home in Ross Grey will take place uh, today, in fact, in or around now, as survivors trace the potential for a mass grave similar to that found in Toome. Sean Ross Abbey in uh, Ross Grey was where 1,090 children died across almost four decades. Now, Teresa Collins frequently contributes to the programme. Teresa was born in the home in 1963 and is a member of the We Are Still Here group, and she joins me now. Good morning to you, Teresa. Good morning, Fran, and good morning, everyone. And lovely to talk to you again, Teresa. This is a special day and long-awaited, I suppose, Teresa. It's a very special day. It's going to be a hard day. Um, You have only two lines of inquiries coming out. Um, the scans are either going to reveal they're there or reveal they're not there. So it's a step process going good. That's the way I'm saying it for us. 
And again, the Commission of Inquiries kind of left these steps in one way open to a lot of groups to try, but two years of negotiations, two years of getting information, I mean, we're down the line to today to the scans. Can you just give us a description of the site that you'll be scanning today? My understanding, Teresa, is that it's beside the Angel plot where, uh, was it 42 uh, babies were, were discovered. Is that, yeah. is that where it is? It's yes. beside the Angel's plot on the left-hand side as you go in. Now, uh, there's big trees. The trees are actually being left for privacy at the moment. Um, they've gone through the woodland. It's partially woodland. So, um, they've already taken out um, most of the small trees and left the ground, um, say, for the uh, scans to go through. Um, it's a big area enough. It's a substantial area. Uh, in 1974, it was the one field. So, look, we have 1,090 deaths to prove either they're there or are the false records. That's basically what you say. So you're kind of processed by elimination as we're going along. Right. But you do have some notion that there certainly are burials in the area that you're scanning today because we heard about yeah, the, the yeah. anomalies in the past, for instance, Teresa. Yeah, we have some notion, we have uh, some idea. And again, I thank all the people that came to us with information because they have been fantastic. Um, we just have to wait and see now exactly what the scans bring up because um, until then I can't give full, how would you say, full knowledge of until course. we see the scans, you of, know? Of course. And at what, do you think by the end of the day you might have an idea on this, Teresa, or will it go on longer no, than that? Friend, the scan, the scans will be probably finished by the end of the day, but then they have to be sent to America by the company that's doing it yes. to read the scans. So it'll be about maybe three to four weeks. Now, the group ourselves, we're still here, we'll get the immediate uh, results back from Jonathan Markham, the, um, the group that's doing the scanning. Um, they come to us, they don't come to the government, they'll be coming to us direct, and then we'll have a look at them, and then we forward them to the government. Do you think that the the area that you're scanning today, as you say, much overgrown and trees there as well, do you think there was a deliberation in terms of the growth of those and the setting of those trees and that, um, on, on that area? Well, in our you know own I mean. minds, in our own minds, friend, yes, because they were only so settled in, I think about 77, 78, they yes. were only sowed there. Um, it was the only area that we could see where trees actually went into the uh, Sean Ross as um, owned by the Sacred Heart, you know. Mm. And and did little bones show up in that area at different times? Um, yes, well, it was in the actual angels plot. Mike Donovan uh, was one of the gardeners there at the time, and Mike did come across bones. All oh, right, that um, was just in the, the angels' plot, was it? That that was. Well, on the entrance way in, basically. Yes. So you can take, give or take a, you know what I mean, a foot, two foot, whatever way you like to put it. Yes. Okay. Who'll be there today? I mean, obviously the people doing the scan, but will people be in attendance, Teresa? Um, well, we kind of kept it a bit low-key for them to do the scan perfect themselves. Yes. Um, that's the best way in saying it. Um, we know we do have, uh, we give offers to a few of the media and the local medias in particular got all got the information that yes. was going on today. But I do know uh, Tina G is going to be having a film crew there as well. Mm. Um we're Martin Brown now. I mean, I have to say, Martin Brown, 
um, for Sinn Féin and Joe Price. Martin Middy's office available and Joe was the main contact from the government with Peter on Rodrigo Gorman's side. Um, they're the ones that made all the contact, uh, I mean, kept us up to date with the emails to and fro. Um, there's a good lot to look at behind the scenes. Some don't want their names mentioned, some do. I don't mind, you know. Mm. There is going to be a few members that was in Sean Ross there, but not an overdose because you you don't want, you know what I mean? You don't want any trouble later at a site like that because you can have it. We just want them to show that we've got the scans done, that they did grant us the money. The government came behind us in that grant and that we're doing it. You know what I mean? Yes. To prove but, what we're doing. But God knows, Tracy, you had to jump through an awful lot of hoops. I mean, OK, you were given the money, but you had to do an awful lot of work yourselves, didn't you? Well, Fran, we had to take it from start ourselves. We had to actually go get the, look for the three quotations that the government asked. We had to actually then, um, when one particular, which is Jonathan again, came on, he actually walked the site with us already previous to this. He's been in the site two or three times. Mm. Um, we then had to go, say, do a tax returns, and we had to go through a non-profit organisation um, through revenue. We had to set up a bank account. Um, we did a lot mm. of working with the council. The council was great for ordinance survey maps. I think you had to go out to, to you had to go out to tender a couple of times. Well, three times I think was it? To, to yeah, get... three times we had to go out to tender. Yeah, yeah. we had to put names forward for tender. Yeah. But look, um, it is a specialised area, friends. So it isn't everyone to be able to do it. Yes. That's sort of a way to, you know, you got to look at that side of it. Um, it is. It was a very overgrown area. Mm. Um, it hadn't been tended to. It was really wild, and uh, I suppose, you know, only for Tony again now, that's the main man. I mean, if we hadn't permission from him to do it today, we wouldn't be where we are today. None of this need have happened, of like, you but, know. But the vegetation and the shrubbery, for instance, has that been removed uh, ahead of That the, has already been, been removed, friends. Okay, so yes, at least that much work, been work is, is done. Um, you, you spoke about Martin Brown there, Deputy Martin Brown of Sinn Féin. Did anybody else weigh in on this? Did you did you look for help from... No, friend. And I'm going to be quite honest with our five TDs. I remember being beyond in Grey one night before the last TD election and I had promised the sun, moon and stairs when I mentioned what I was doing. Uh, Martin was with us as a councillor when we started the group back in 015. Martin was always with us. Um, the fact he, he became a TD gave, him, gave us great sense and we had, you know, helped that mm. way. And I mean, Mary Lou has been down and Sinn Féin has stood behind it. Mm. Now there's other parties as well, don't get me wrong, has been behind every other sections of us, from institutions to modern baby homes to wherever mm. you like. You know, other parties have stood behind us as well. But um, only for Martin and the contact we made with him and he really and truly Mm. gave us the opportunity to talk with Rodrigo Garman and get Rodrigo Garman down to us when he did come down. So, you know, that was an opening. It was a lovely opening to have. Uh, a lot of people think because we kind of went through it, say, on the on the side of taking a political. Um, we went, we jumped the hoops. We did, we, we dotted the I's, crossed the T's. So nothing can come back to us saying, well, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. The scans you get today are legitimate. The scans that we'll be reading will be legitimate. And that's where we get the correct answers from. And if it is a case today that, you know, that there's remains there, where, where do you go from there, Teresa? I mean, are you talking about excavation at that point? Or or is it wait and see? Or what? what is it? 
Um, friend, we'll wait and see. Um, I'm not jumping the gun yet because I obviously I have to have the information in my hand of course, to, of course. to well, answer questions. But what is your instinct telling you about this, Teresa? I'd say there's some there. I don't know how many. I'd say some, but I can't say how many. Now, that's only my own personal instinct on it. Um, with what I've gathered in information and talking to people, I'd say they're not too far wrong. I'll be honest, you know. Yeah. But, 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 look, but we are talking about over a thousand remains missing, essentially, or not being found, yeah. are we? Yes. Well, friend, we're talking over a thousand death certs. Yeah. That is actually published as death certs, is legal documents. Yes. But yes, there's no sign of them children. So, I mean, someone had to sign off on a death cert. You just don't get a death cert automatic. So there would be a lot of ins and outs behind it. Mm. If you get my meaning, you have to look mm. at it that way. Um, when a person signs a death cert, as you know, with a coroner and whatever it is, yeah. even back those days, I'm sure they had to be signed off by a doctor or someone. So the fact that we were able to get 1,090 through freedom of information um, was, um, you know what I mean, a good way of doing it. And um, we have to work from there. But if we don't find that many there, we also have to take it now that... Um, if they're not there, well, do we hand these over to the guard for a criminal investigation? Because we have the proof that they are signed, they are look, uh, authentic. So how come the nuns couldn't hand in the same amount? And speaking of the nuns, um, are they aware of what's going on today, for example, Teresa? No, and I don't think so. Maybe they are now at this stage, but um, we didn't have to notify them because we're not going near the angels' plot. The land is Tony's, and Tony yes. Dunlin is the main man. Yeah. Um, Tony was and the he's one been, he's been amazing to you hasn't he absolutely yeah. outstanding yeah. and I tell you one thing he is a man that is so honest and so truthful and so kind mm. and he will not do you a bad turn that's for sure yes. and I think he had to sign documentation in fact did he not <laughs> yeah. I think at one stage he could have nearly ran us. We had four different emails gone up to the government yeah. and each email, that they weren't quite what they wanted. So Tony just says to us in the end, he said, look, Teresa, write out what you want and uh, we'll, I'll rewrite it and send it on. So that's what we did. So, I mean, fair play to him. Like, fair you play. know, you couldn't ask for better. Fair play is, is right indeed. Are, are you emotional today, Teresa? Is it a kind of a... Friend, I'm... Don't know how I am, to be quite honest. Do you not? Yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. I'll be yeah. honest. I just don't know how I am. We're going to go do it. Maybe it'll be different now. You know what I mean? After this evening when you're there and you see what's going on, maybe it'll sink in a little bit better. Um, I suppose I looked for this for nearly, what, since zero fifteen. 15, yeah. I suppose we really went into it in the last two and a half years. Um, I suppose It's just looking for answers. Answers for people, not just me, but answers for everybody, you know? Yes, and uh, the Commission report, of course, out there now and stuff. Uh, will, will this rewrite some of that, do you think, depending on what you find, Teresa, you know? Well, friend, that'll be one for the government, I think, not so much me. But, yeah. um, but we do know that the Commission report wasn't correct. We do yeah. know that ourselves, as people were, you e even know. Even with the information that you have at the moment... Uh, you, you think there was aspects of that that was incorrect, yeah? Yeah, I mean, um, figures didn't add up in it. Um, I mean, when I really went through it through COVID, and I was saying, how is this managing, that managing, it's not working out, you know, the way it should be. Yeah. 
and I thought it was just me. And then I just, um, as I say, I took my own year in 1963, according to 1963 files. There was only two deaths. Uh, recorded with the commissions and actually in 1963 there was uh, six children died but yet only two seems to be recorded so there's four children through the Freedom of Information Act missing in 1963 so that's the way I kind of said if that's the case in my year how many other years is it exactly the same so I started to ask a few of them you know look up the years year or there and see what you got and yet yeah, numbers weren't dead and up so others had the same experience as yourself in terms of those numbers not, not making sense? Yeah, and not adding up, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, well, Teresa, we wish you well today. As I say, it's not an easy day for you, but thank you so much for coming on with us, Teresa. Friend, thank you, and thank all your staff, I mean, for over the years, for all you've done for us and the media, and also to all the listeners and people who have come up and said, well done to me. You know, that little bit is all the praise you ask for. And I said thank you very much to each and every one of you for that. All right, Teresa, look after yourself and uh, thanks for coming on with us today. That's Teresa Collins. As we speak, that scan uh, has just begun there in... um in Sean Ross, in uh, in Rossgrave, of course, eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on! You can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Oh six seven two four one 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 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. We have that €100 Euro voucher to give away for Mr. Mister because they have a mega clearance sale at the Kilcorn Lodge Hotel starting this Thursday and running right through until Sunday. All sorts of bargains there if you want to... Uh, be in with a chance to win that 100 euro voucher. Uh, it's based on your text and WhatsApp, just reacting to the various items on the program. Or indeed, if you want to bring up something brand new, if you put Mr. Mr. and your name at the end of your contribution, we will pop you in the draw. It's as simple as that. Now, a couple of more of those shortlists in the Tip FM Best of Tip Awards. As Pat told you, uh, their voting begins this evening. Uh, at 6 o'clock and of course right throughout the day we'll be announcing the shortlists uh, Best Butchers it's uh, Brendan Healy Artisan Butcher in Bansha Country Pork in Clonmel Paddy O'Dwyer Quality Meats in Cashel Paul Tobin Butchers in Clonmel and Premier Meats in Thurless uh, Where Best Coffee is concerned E53 Coffee House in Ross Grey Fetch Coffee in Clonmel No Filter in Clonmel Sonsbiog Coffee in Thurless and The Lazy Cow in Carrickenshire. I think that's a brilliant, a brilliant name for a coffee shop The Lazy Cow in Carrickenshire. so well done there um, the shortlist for coffee and for butchers and of course right through today as I say you'll be hearing the other uh, the other shortlists alright then let us go and have a look at what's been coming into us uh, today. Fran, I did enjoy the country music special on Friday night, but in my opinion, Patrick Kilty seems to be trying too hard. It's great to hear the country music artists on primetime television, says Helen, tuned our way uh, today. Uh, hello to John Cashman, who is in Ballyporeen, loving the show today as well. Thank you very much indeed for that. Um, Sadie Ryan is in uh, Ballinura, I think it is in Carrick, and says that uh, road accidents, the biggest problem is speed, Fran. We need more guardy. I was driving from Carrick to Clonmel yesterday and uh, I was passed by cars and motorcycles on continuous white lines. It was just scary. And a comment on country music. I think there is a bit of snobbery involved and I'm enjoying 
uh, the show. Thanks for that, Sadie. And you know what? I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. I've been involved over the years in lots of different genres of music. I've played folk music and classical music and rock music and all sorts of stuff. And currently I play some country music. And you're right, there is a snobbery. There, people like to, to look down. I wonder how many of them who would be very vocal about not liking country music would actually go home and... <laughs> and listen to country music albums. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Anyway, 1800-938-007. If in the Gael, uh, Minister Jennifer Carol McNeil has clashed with uh, Senator Ronan uh, Mullen during a debate on gender identity after the government was accused of having a radical agenda and tampering with uh, the meaning of gender. I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by Senator Ronan uh, Mullen. Good morning to you, Senator. Good morning, friend. And thank you so much for your time this morning. Really good to talk to you. You've said that the government is on board with a radical agenda, Senator, and has not been up front with the Irish people. What is it that they're not up front with, according to you? <coughs> well, just to say, the reason this discussion between Jennifer and myself occurred was because I was looking for the government to give answers and information about a public consultation yes. that they have had. You know the way they've been proposing mm-hmm. to have a number of referendums around the place of women in the home in the Constitution, but also touching on gender-related uh, issues. So they had a consultation, or they asked for public submissions, uh, and I think the deadline was last May, and there's still no sign of, well, what did the public say? And I suppose the concern I would have is that sometimes when the public makes submissions, uh, if they're not what the government wants to hear, we don't hear much about it after that. Um, I've been very critical of the hate speech legislation. We're all against, obviously, hatred and anything that would incite hatred. But one of the problems with the government's proposed hate speech legislation is that it doesn't define hatred. And Mm -hmm. you have this strange new definition of gender to mean things that was never in the law before, not just whether you're male or female, but any preferred expression of gender identity. Now, if that's put in as something that, that that a person could be on the hook for hate speech if they're making comments critical around that very controversial area, then there's a real, there's a real risk of a kind of a silencing of people if they have concerns. You, you're aware of the fact that, you know, there are people who are worried about the fact that there are people who are biological males who uh, want access to female-only spaces. We've had reports of, for example, biological males being a a risk, who declare as women, being a risk to women in in, in prisons. Um, The same goes for schools where biological males would want to play sports. Mm -hmm. Very concerning, for example, that the Ladies Gaelic Football Association ruled that, you know, in sports for young people as young as 12, that, that, that you know, biological males could compete under the under the the women's or the uh, girls. Uh, funny section. enough, on that, That's Senator, when when you put that to Minister uh, Carol McNeil, she her answer to you was rather interesting in that she said that nobody within her circle of people had ever expressed any issues like that. Yeah, and I, you know, I sometimes wonder what you know is this the problem with with government these days where they. They own, they, they're in a kind of a closed circle, a kind of an echo chamber, where they only hear uh, with voices, you know, that kind of chime uh, with their own thinking. The reality is that there is concern in this area. It's, it's, it's become a big in- issue internationally, and there are concerns among many feminists, for example, in Ireland about the implications of this uh, for women, if basically any biological male can declare that they are a woman, um, then that has implications in certain cases for women's safety and so on. Um, I just want to make one point, though, very clear, that 
I, I, we should always have sympathy and respect for anybody who is affected by gender dysphoria. Mm. And that is to say, a person who is one biological sex, but who identifies as another, or who has issues identifying with their own, you know, objective Yes, but you did point sex. out, and particularly where children is concerned, you pointed out that mm. children with gender dysphoria are not necessarily trans children, is, they, is that... Yes, I don't think we should use the phrase trans children, because that is presuming an outcome. Um, there's a very good book by Helen Joyce, Yes, um, I, I, I've, I've read it, yeah. Mm. Yeah, when, yeah. Tra- when, trans, when trans, when ideology meets reality. I mean, it's very clear that there's a real danger here that, uh, and this is, and you've also had people like Professor Don Lachey, the mm. well-known endocrinologist, worrying about the direction of travel of the HSE, uh, for example, with their proposed, uh, the, the proposed head of the gender unit, worrying that it's going to be an activist rather than a cl- clinician that would be put in charge. And what's at stake here is this. It's a difference of opinion between experts like Professor O'Shea who say, look, we, we have been dealing with people who have transgender ideation, who have gender dysphoria, and, and with adults, and people have had, you know, cross-sex hormones and leading on to surgeries, etc. We know about that. We've dealt with that. However, there is an increasing phenomenon of, of a huge increase in young people, particularly young girls, there is an element of social transition, transmission about it, it appears. But what people like uh, Professor O'Shea have been saying is be careful. Don't just rush into affirming this gender dysphoria, that the idea that the person is of the other gender. People can move beyond this. Um, sometimes there are co-presenting issues like autism, in fact, in a very high percentage of cases. So what he's saying is, you know, calm it slow it down, don't be rushing to conclusions, don't be rushing to affirm the declared new identity, work through the problems with the person. What the evidence seems to show is, however, that if you go into an ideology on this and say, oh yes, we must embrace this and we must affirm it, and and then you move in some cases, and if if young people were put on to puberty blockers leading on to cross-sex hormones, that kind of entrenches the problem rather than what, what would happen otherwise, which is that many of them might move beyond the problem. So there's a child welfare and a child protection yeah. issue at stake why, here. Why is it, you think, that we can't have a proper conversation without people getting hysterical on this and indeed without people being attacked? In fact, one of the most... I was going to say entertaining, but certainly the most riveting pieces of radio was I heard you on News Talk and you finally got to rebut what Joe Brawley said about you and some oh, yes. of your, your colleagues in, in, indeed. And it was a marvellous piece of radio. And for my money, you, you won that particular uh, debate. But it, it was interesting that, I mean, you know, it was said, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff said about you and impressions given about you that you weren't in this for... For, for yeah. the real thing and that you're in it for money and for all sorts of other reasons and uh, that's why you had the stance you had. How did that make you feel? Well, I, I feelings don't come into it for me. I mean, obviously, you're in politics, you're, you're going to get all sorts of things said, sometimes fair and sometimes very unfair. I mean, for the record, for me, it's a question of of, of people's welfare, that people should be... And it's also a question of truthfulness. I mean, if you look at, for example, um, I think that lecturer in Southeast Technological University, Colette Colfer, has mm. done people some service. I mean, she's... It's interesting to look at what's going on there. You have a number of universities basically signing up for... Um, equality principles, that's fine. There's a whole Athena Swan charter. It's linked with their ability to get research funding. Now, I would have always thought that was to do with equal opportunities for women and men in, in, in third level, and I would have thought that's a very good thing. It now turns out, though, that it has a more radical agenda in terms of affirming 
claims about gender. Now, again, as Colette Confer has pointed out, as a matter of courtesy, she and indeed myself and yourself might well be happy, you know, if somebody declares they're of a different gender to their biological sex, you might be happy, you know, as a matter of courtesy, as a matter of kindness to go along with it. However, to be required and to be like under pain of acting in a way that's unlawfully unlawfully discriminatory, if you don't use a person's chosen pronouns, well, that's forcing people to acknowledge and declare a version of reality that they may not believe to be did, true. Did, so did there's you a find it, problem there. Did you find it interesting that a couple of days ago, Leo Radkar, I, I thought his, his comment was interesting, that we need to relax more where the use of pronouns was concerned and maybe not take it quite as seriously as we are and accept that some people will get this wrong. Did you find that interesting? Well, I found that he, 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 he wasn't very courageous because it's not clear who's he saying should relax. Who isn't relaxed about it? As far as I'm concerned, the people who are not relaxed about it are the people who want to kind of write this into law and put other people in the wrong if they don't play ball with, you say, using declared pronouns and so on. If what he means is that the the activists should relax and not be looking for the protection of the law, well, then I'd say, well, show me the colour of your money, Leo. Let's look at your legislation. Let's... can you can you please amend the current wacky definition of gender that you have put into this hate speech legislation before it comes through the Shannon? Uh, can you confirm what Roderick O'Gorman couldn't have confirmed the other day, that a person who, out of principle or for whatever reason, does not seek to or does not want to use the declared pronouns because they believe they're incorrect, that they're not going to be acting unlawfully? You know, it's fine to tell people to relax, mm. but if you're kind of gradual, if you're on board with NGOs who are gradually pushing for a change in the law and want to put people in the corner about all of this stuff, well, then that's not good enough from the Taoiseach to tell us all to relax, you know? We we, we need to, to see what side of the argument is he actually on. And uh, I suspect he's probably trying to have it a bit both ways because a lot of... Um, members of Fine Gael are what the Taoiseach would probably call conservative. He used to be fairly conservative himself by some people's reckoning, but he's also on board now, it seems, with a kind of a very woke um, agenda. And of course, it's complicated because you have the LGBT, right? Most people, you know, regard you know, the LG is is not controversial. You know, we, we, we respect the people's private lives, people have the right to Lesbian their, and gay, to their yes. sexuality yeah. and so on. And and okay, there may be changes in the law and some of I, I agree with, some I disagree with, but at the end of the day there's a kind of a settlement around that issue. The problem with the transgender issue is that it's not the people who are transgender, it's the activists and it's what they're looking for. So when you have, for example, you know, government departments uh, running training sessions for their civil servants, and they're bringing in, for example, the Transgender Equality Network of Ireland, TENI. This is an organisation that has, you know, failed in its auditing requirements uh, over several years. I don't know if they're up to date yet or not with, with, the, with the money they got from the state, but who have an extremely activist approach. They're not, you know, they're basically saying you affirm whatever people's gender claim is, and they're, for example brought in by the civil service uh, to train people, oh, you know, you should use people's pronouns. They use phrases like, you know, if a person is is transgender, in other words, a different gender to the one they were assigned at birth. And what does the phrase assigned at birth mean? You know, your gender is what you are. Um, if, if, If you have an issue with your gender, yes, under the law now, you can you can 
use a preferred gender instead. Mm. That was the 2015 legislation. Mm. But reality remains that, that you are actually a particular biological sex genetically and, and physically in the vast majority of cases. Obviously, there can be genetic and physical anomalous situations and so on. And in all of these situations, you, you treat people with love and respect and charity. No argument. Well, I, I was just going but to say that to you because... To the, be other than what it is. The, the there's a touch of the old hippie in me and, you know, I, I sort of believe in living, let live in life. Why not just, I mean, if somebody decides on a pronoun or whatever, why why not just refer to that, Senator, and just get on with it, you know? And I think that's what most of us would do. Yeah. Um, I, I think the problem, as, as, as Colette Colfer has pointed out, is most of, most of us would do that as a matter of courtesy um, and, and kindness. The issue is, though, if you make it the law that we must do it, then you're, you're, you're basically saying that the law might compel you to say something that you don't actually believe to be real or true. And that's, that's crossing a line because that is turning reality on its head. I think the issue also becomes sensitive around children because if, if, if the logic of this is that the, that the transgender claim is true, um, then the, the logic that some of the yes. radicals are, are pushing with the support of the government it seems is that when a child says they are that, that you treat that as true now I've been talking to a lot of educators and teachers uh, in schools and, and actually they're very sensitive in the way they deal with these issues, they neither affirm it nor do they oppose it, they keep it nice and calm and country, they honour the person you know, mm. the person comes in with a different hairstyle or different clothes or whatever. You know, if you have a, a school that has a healthy culture that is against bullying or demeaning of a person for any reason, whether it's their sexuality or their apparent uh, gender uh, dysphoria or whatever issue it is, those issues needn't be problems. The problem occurs when you when you let ideology in and when you start saying that these are mm. there are rights here that must be followed. That's a problem because, it, again, it, turning reality It's interesting it. to see what's happening in the UK it, where, where children are concerned. There seems to be a bit of a rollback there, is there not? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're interesting because it, Scotland was way out there under the, Scot the Scottish National Party. And, um, and indeed, you know, I know from talking to educators in schools here, particularly in the kind of Catholic faith sector, that they would have learned a lot from their Scottish counterparts about, about how to deal with these issues. And even that anecdotal knowledge that, you know, you neither affirm nor oppose, you just, you know, you keep it nice and calm and you, you keep it moving, you know, because your your responsibility is to be pastoral in a school setting. You know, that kind of experience is coming in. But it was interesting that um, uh, I think it was the, the Scottish First Minister uh, who Yousaf recently came out against the proposed um, law uh, change in the law in relation to gender, and that mm. was a, a positive sign. Um, but you still, you, 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 it, it's still not clear which way it's going to go in Britain, because there are elements within, you know, the, the British political system, and certainly within the media, that say, you know, some of this stuff has gone crazy and it must be opposed. But there's still strong activist elements there as well. It's interesting. And, you know, in terms of the public's participation, as you say, because that's what we started off talking about and, uh, you know, yeah. whether or not that would be published. What, from, from your interaction with people, generally, what do you think the public are saying about this? I think there's an awful lot of the public that don't, you know, we all know people will be more focused on the budget now over the next couple of days than on any of these questions, and that's entirely understandable and right. However, I think there is a large section of the public that is a bit impatient with the amount of time and energy that this seems to be getting from government and from NGOs and the way that this thing is being pushed. And people don't like stuff being pushed 
at them, um, particularly in a way that doesn't allow for a discussion, you know. So there's a certain amount of um, head-scratching um, around all of this, you know, what what is actually going on here with this, you know, increasing number of, you know, 100 different genders, yes. you, you know, depending yeah. on what website you look up. And the way that is being presented then as a matter of right, that you have to kind of respect, you know, my declaration in this area and so on. So I think people are, are a lot of people are somewhere between be, being bemused and irritated by it. I say most of the time it's not a problem. It really becomes a problem when it has the it could impact on schools. So, for example, uh, and I have been uh, posting about this on Twitter or X, as it's now known. Um, there is a problem with the National Cur- Council for Curriculum and Assessment and the draft um, uh, curriculum that it has been preparing for social, social, pe- personal, and health education (SPHE). Um, they're proposing that this would be a subject or an area, obviously, in it already is in secondary school, but also in primary school. But for example, in relation to the junior cycle draft curriculum that they produced there last year, they were their their original language had references to gender being a spectrum, for example, and uh, and using those kind of political terms like cisgender and and. and the gender assigned at birth and all of that stuff that's very ideological and doesn't reflect reality. So they had a consultation and a lot of, they got a lot of pushback. I think about 4,000 was the number of kind of people who either submitted or signed up to submissions objecting to aspects of this. They ignored it originally, but there was an eventual pushback and they took phrases like uh, the notion that gender is a spectrum out of the, the junior cycle uh, dra- uh, curriculum that they were proposing. But what's interesting is that some of the textbooks that are now going around in schools reflect uh, stuff that the National Council for Curriculum Assessment was originally proposing, but with the, which they pulled back on, you know? So aspects of the textbooks are actually not suitable for schools. And I've actually seen some of them myself. They, they, they kind of leave hard questions out and they kind of go with assumptions that are not necessarily true at all. So for that idea, yeah. for example, the spectrum, the gender is a spectrum, all of, all, of, all of that stuff. So you have an ideology that it isn't just, this isn't just going on in social media or in some kind of fringe corner of public discourse. This stuff has crept in. in it's there among some of the people who are pushing the curriculum in schools and it is time for parents to be vigilant about this and I don't think it's acceptable for the Minister for Education for example to say oh well parents can always opt out of this if they want. Why should the onus uh, be on parents to take their kids out of class when something unsuitable and unscientific and unevident is being put across you know it, 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 is, it is a matter for schools I think to consult with their, with yes. their parents and, and and to determine according to their ethos and values, and not to be dictated to by the by the state, particularly not if it's if it's not evidence based stuff. The the pity though is that I mean we're having a reasonable conversation this morning, but sometimes the views that you would hold, Senator, would be associated with some of those ugly scenes we saw outside of the Doyle, mm-hmm. or indeed what happened with the libraries down south and the and the like as well. Mm-hmm. That's the pity about it because that will always be thrown at the likes of you then in midst conversation. Yeah, well, that's what Joe Brawley tried to do, of course, and that's why I kind of push back so hard because in, 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 in many ways, it is him that's trying to, and, and he's it that's trying to close down a conversation by saying, you know, if you dare speak up against any of this, we'll paint you into a corner 
with with other people who we who, who nobody likes, you know. And um, I mean, if you look at that protest that took place outside Leinster House, I didn't see it myself, but from everything I've read and learned, it was a relatively small bunch. Um, so there may have been some decent people in there at the wrong place at the mm. wrong time, but there was a you know a, a bunch of unpleasant people, very unpleasant people, but not terribly coherent about what they were looking for. You, it, it may very well be that they were jumping on the bandwagon yes. of issues around immigration or transgender ideology or so on. So, you know, I think what people need to do here is to follow the argument and not to um, and yes. not to fall for the labelling. You know, I, I was very, I, I, I'm fiercely interested in, in body language and I was looking at the, oh. the minister uh, as you were speaking. You said, I mean, she was very hostile about, I mean, you know, she was cross with you. She was, and I, and I kind of didn't understand it because she went on by saying, you know, men don't have to um, pretend to be women in order to attack women. And of course, yeah, so she's talking about her own credentials where we're speaking up on that is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. And look, and congratulations to her for anything she has done in the area of domestic violence. But that wasn't the point and isn't the point. And it's kind of an irrelevance to, to bring that up if what you're trying, you know, instead of answering the point that's being made, I, I, I'm saying unashamedly that I think the government's attitude to, to gender is, is emerging as a, as a risk issue uh, for, for the Irish people that they're supposed to be serving. And the reason I say that is because they are, they appear to be on board with, with, with an ideology. I mean, why is it, as you mentioned, libraries? Like, how the hell can it be the case that libraries can have books um, in their young adult section, and that's for children as young as 12, that are absolutely obscene, that are pushing a particular version of human sexuality that is based on politics and ideology rather than, than evidence and fact, and where some of the stuff is extraordinarily pornographic. Um, uh, yes, but I'm sure you'd agree behavior. that protest around that has to be proper and measured. And, exactly, and, 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 and people, exactly, and that's what I'm saying. Yes. People should protest, they should protest in large numbers, they should be vocal, but they should always be courteous. And they should remember as well, and I mean, it's completely inappropriate to be, you know, um, engaging if, if it happened, and as I say, I wasn't on the ground, but of any intimidation of people in the libraries, they should remember that those are people doing their jobs. And indeed, there's people in, in working in those libraries who have gone on the record and letters pages to say, you know, we don't think yeah. this stuff should be in the library either. So, exactly, it's a question, but, but I do think we need more um, public impatience with the government, not less. I mean, it, it's appalling that even now, I mean, again, there was something mild, I think, from Leo Bradford to say, yeah, maybe some of that stuff isn't appropriate. That's not enough. There are child mm. protection I, I found it interesting, here. but the cynic in me would say that elections are looming, I suppose, and, you know. Well, well, this is it. As I said, Fine Gael is a mix of people, and, and what, I, what I want to know is where is the government on its child protection credentials? And is there, you know, some kind of, do they feel beholden? I, I think it's fair to say, by the way, and again, I don't, you know, I, I get on well with people across the spectrum, politically, but I will say that in, re in relation to the Green Party, politically and historically and across Europe, some of their ideas in this whole area of human sexuality, uh, even touching on child protection, politically, uh, going back decades and into Germany and the origins of the kind of the green left movement, is very, some very unhealthy stuff. And, and I hope that that you know, ideology isn't kind of on the table in government because they're you know, in government with the Greens as a, as, a, as a kind of a minority party of government. I think, you know, without making any accusations, I, I, you know, I don't think it's acceptable that 
if it's the case that I, I think what could be happening here is that you have a kind of a Green Party driving a certain ideology around the gender politics and the kind of the pragmatists in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, including at the at the highest level, Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar, who I think have been a real disappointment on these issues, kind of going along with it, just say, you know, it's all about just keep the government together, get to the next election. Mm. These values don't matter. These people who are objecting will go away. I, I, that's why I think people need to have some very, right. you know, informed questions to ask their politicians when they come to the doorstep about well, these things. Senator, we appreciate your time this morning and thank you very much indeed for coming on with us. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, for Bye-bye to you now. That's Senator Ronan Mullen speaking to us there. Uh, back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. We have that €100 Euro voucher to give away for Mr. Mister because they have a mega clearance sale at the Kilcorn Lodge Hotel starting this Thursday and running right through until Sunday. All sorts of bargains there if you want to... Uh, be in with a chance to win that 100 euro voucher. Uh, it's based on your text and WhatsApp, just reacting to the various items on the programme. Or indeed, if you want to bring up something brand new, if you put Mr. Mr. and your name at the end of your contribution, we will pop you in the draw. It's as simple as that. Now, a couple of more of those shortlists in the Tip FM Best of Tip Awards. As Pat told you, uh, their voting begins this evening. Uh, at 6 o'clock, and of course, right throughout the day, we'll be announcing the shortlists. Uh, Best Butchers, it's uh, Brendan Healy, Artisan Butcher in Bansha. Country Pork in Clonmel. Paddy O'Dwyer, Quality Meats in Cashel. Paul Tobin, Butchers in Clonmel. And Premier Meats in Thurles. Uh, where Best Coffee is concerned, E53, Coffee House in Ross Grey. Fetch Coffee in Clonmel. No Filter in Clonmel. Sonsbiog Coffee in Thurles and The Lazy Cow in Carrickenshire. I think that's a brilliant, a brilliant name for a coffee shop. The Lazy Cow in Carrickenshire. So well done there. Um, the shortlist for coffee and for butchers. And of course, right throughout today, as I say, you'll be hearing the other, uh, the other shortlists. All right, then, let us go and have a look at what's been coming into us uh, today. Fran, I did enjoy the country music special on Friday night, but in my opinion, Patrick Kilty seems to be trying too hard. It's great to hear the country music artists on primetime television, says Helen, tuned our way today. Uh, hello to John Cashman, who is in Ballyporeen, loving the show today as well. Thank you very much indeed for that. Um, Sadie Ryan is in Ballinura, I think it is in Carrick, and says that road accidents, the biggest problem is speed, Fran. We need more Gardaí. I was driving from Carrick to Clonmel yesterday. And uh, I was passed by cars and motorcycles on continuous white lines. It was just scary. And a comment on country music. I think there is a bit of snobbery involved. And I'm enjoying uh, the show. Thanks for that, Sadie. And you know what? I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. I've been involved over the years in lots of different genres of music. I've played folk music and classical music and rock music and all sorts of stuff. And currently I play some country music. And you're right. There is a snobbery. People like to, to look down. I wonder how many of them who would be very vocal about not liking country music would actually go home and 
and, and listen to country music albums. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Anyway, 1800 938 007. Minister Jennifer Carol McNeil has clashed with uh, Senator Ronan uh, Mullen during a debate on gender identity after the government was accused of having a radical agenda and tampering with uh, the meaning of gender. I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by Senator Ronan uh, Mullen. Good morning to you, Senator. Good morning, friend. And thank you so much for your time this morning. Really good to talk to you. You've said that the government is on board with a radical agenda, Senator, and has not been up front with the Irish people. What is it that they're not up front with, according to you? <coughs> well, just to say, the reason this discussion between Jennifer and myself occurred was because I was looking for the government to give answers and information about a public consultation yes. that they have had. You know the way they've been proposing mm-hmm. to have a number of referendums around the place of women in the home, in the constitution, but also touching on gender-related uh, issues. So they had a consultation, or they asked for public submissions, uh, and I think the deadline was last May, and there's still no sign of, well, what did the public say? And I suppose the concern I would have is that sometimes when the public makes submissions, uh, if they're not what the government wants to hear, we don't hear much about it after that. Um, I've been very critical of the hate speech legislation. We're all against, obviously, hatred and anything that would incite hatred. But one of the problems with the government's proposed hate speech legislation is that it doesn't define hatred. And mm. you have this strange new definition of gender to mean things that was never in the law before, not just whether you're male or female, but any preferred expression of gender identity. Now, if that's put in as something that, that that a person could be on the hook for hate speech if they're making comments critical around that very controversial area, then there's a real, there's a real risk of a kind of a silencing of people if they have concerns. You're aware of the fact that, you know, there are people who are worried about the fact that there are people who are biological males who uh, want access to female-only spaces. We've had reports of, for example, biological males being a a risk, who declare as women, being a risk to women in in, in prisons. Um, The same goes for schools where biological males would want to play sports. Mm. Very concerning, for example, that the Ladies Gaelic Football Association ruled that, you know, in sports for young people as young as 12, that, that, that you know, biological males could compete under the under the, the women's or the uh, girls' uh, Funny section. enough, on that, That's Senator, when, when you put that to Minister uh, Carol McNeil, she, her answer to you was rather interesting in that she said that nobody within her circle of people had ever expressed any issues like that. Yeah, and I, you know, I sometimes wonder what, you know, is this the problem with with government these days, where they, they own, they, they, they're, they're in a kind of a closed circle, a kind of an echo chamber, where they only hear uh, with voices, you know, that kind of chime uh, with their own thinking. The reality is that there is concern in this area. It's 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 become a big in- issue internationally, and there are concerns among many feminists, for example, in, in Ireland about the implications of this. Uh, for women, if basically any biological male can declare uh, that they are a woman, um, then that has implications in certain cases for women's safety and so on. Um, I just want to make one point, though, very clear, that we should always have sympathy and respect for anybody who is affected by gender dysphoria. Mm. And that is to say, a person who is one biological sex, but who identifies as another, who has issues identifying with their own, you know, objective. Yes, but you did point sex. out, and particularly where children is concerned, you pointed out that mm. children with gender dysphoria are not necessarily trans children. Is they? Is that? 
Yes, I don't think we should use the phrase trans children because that is presuming an outcome. Um, There's a very good book by Helen Joyce. Yes, um, I, I, former, I've, I've read it, yeah. Mm. Yeah, when, yeah. Tra- when, tra- when trans and ideology meet reality. I mean, it's very clear that there's a real danger here that, uh, and this is, and you've also had people like Professor Don Loche, the mm. well-known endocrinologist, worrying about the direction of travel of the HSE, uh, for example, with their proposed, uh, the, the proposed head of the gender unit, worrying that it's going to be an activist rather than a cl- clinician that would be put in charge. And what's at stake here is this: it's a difference of opinion between experts like Professor O'Shea, who say, look. We, we have been dealing with people who have transgender ideation, who have gender dysphoria, and, and with adults, and people have had, you know, cross-sex hormones and leading on to surgeries, etc. We know about that. We've dealt with that. However, there is an increasing phenomenon of, of a huge increase in young people, particularly young girls. There is an element of social transition, of transmission about it, it appears. But what people like uh, Professor O'Shea have been saying is, be careful. Don't just rush into affirming this gender dysphoria, that the idea that the person is of the other gender, people can move beyond this. Um, Sometimes there are co-presenting issues like autism, in fact, in a very high percentage of cases. So what he's saying is, you know, calm it, slow it down, don't be rushing to conclusions, don't be rushing to affirm the declared new identity, work through the problems with the person. What the evidence seems to show is, however, that if you go into an ideology on this and say, oh yes, we must embrace this and we must affirm it, and and then you move in some cases, and if if young people were put on to puberty blockers leading on to cross-sex hormones, that kind of entrenches the problem rather than what, what would happen otherwise, which is that many of them might move beyond the problem. So there's a child welfare and a child protection yeah. issue at stake what, here. Why is it you think that we can't have a proper conversation without people getting hysterical on this and indeed without people being attacked? In fact, one of the most... I was going to say entertaining, but certainly the most riveting pieces of radio was I heard you on News Talk and you finally got to rebut what Joe Brawley said about you and some oh, yes. of your, your colleagues in, in, indeed. And it was a marvellous piece of radio. And for my money, you, you won that particular uh, debate. But it, it was interesting that, I mean, you know, it was said, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff said about you and impressions given about you that you weren't in this for... For, for yeah. the real thing and that you're in it for money and for all sorts of other reasons and uh, that's why you had the stance you had. How did that make you feel? Well, I, I feelings don't come into it for me. I mean, obviously, you're in politics, you're, you're going to get all sorts of things said, sometimes fair and sometimes very unfair. I mean, for the record, for me, it's a question of of, of people's welfare, that people should be... And it's also a question of truthfulness. I mean, if you look at, for example, um, I think that lecture in Southeast Technological University, Colette Colfer, has mm. done people some service. I mean, she's... It's interesting to look at what's going on there. You have a number of universities basically signing up for... Um, equality principles, that's fine. There's a whole Athena Swan charter. It's linked with their ability to get research funding. Now, I would have always thought that was to do with equal opportunities for women and men in, in, in third level, and I would have thought that's a very good thing. It now turns out, though, that it has a more radical agenda in terms of affirming claims about gender. Now, again, as Colette Confer has pointed out, as a matter of courtesy, she and indeed myself and yourself might well be happy, you know, if somebody declares they're of a different gender to their biological sex, you might be happy, you know, as a matter of courtesy, as a matter of kindness to go along with it. However, to be required 
and to be like under pain of acting in a way that's unlawfully unlawfully discriminatory if you don't use a person's chosen pronouns well that's forcing people to acknowledge and declare a version of reality that they may not believe to be did, true did, so did you find it problem there. did you find it interesting that a couple of days ago leo radkar I, I thought he, his comment was interesting, that we need to relax more where the use of pronouns was concerned and maybe not take it quite as seriously as we are and accept that some people will get this wrong. Did you find that interesting? Well, I found that he, he, he wasn't very courageous because it's not clear who's he saying should relax, who isn't relaxed about it. As far as I'm concerned, the people who are not relaxed about it are the people who want to kind of write this into law and put other people in the wrong if they don't play ball with, you say, using declared pronouns and so on. If what he means is that the the activists should relax and not be looking for the protection of the law, well, then I'd say, well, show me the colour of your money, Leo. Let's look at your legislation. can Can you please amend the current wacky definition of gender that you have put into this hate speech legislation before it comes through the Shannon? Can you confirm what Roderick O'Gorman couldn't have confirmed the other day, that a person who, out of principle or for whatever reason, does not seek to or does not want to use the declared pronouns because they believe they're incorrect, that they're not going to be acting unlawfully? You know, it's fine to tell people to relax, mm. but if you're kind of gradu- if you're on board with NGOs who are gradually pushing for a change in the law and want to put people in the corner about all of this stuff, well, then that's not good enough from the Taoiseach to tell us all to relax. You know, we, we, we need to, to see what side of the argument is he actually on. And uh, I suspect he's probably trying to have it a bit both ways because a lot of um, members of Fine Gael are what the Taoiseach would probably call conservative. He used to be fairly conservative himself by some people's reckoning. But he's also on board now, it seems, with a kind of a very woke... Um, agenda. And of course, it's complicated because you have the LGBT, right? Most people, you know, regard, you know, the LG is, is not controversial. You know, we, we, we respect that people's private lives, people have the right to Lesbian their, gay, to their yes. sexuality yeah. and so on. And, and okay, there may be changes in the law and some of it I, I agree with, some I disagree with, but at the end of the day, there's a kind of a settlement around that issue. The problem with the transgender issue is that it's not the people who are transgender, it's the activists and it's what they're looking for. So when you have, for example, you know, government departments uh, running training sessions for their civil servants, and they're bringing in, for example, the Transgender Equality Network of Ireland, TENI. This is an organisation that has, you know, failed in its auditing requirements uh, over several years. I don't know if they're up to date yet or not with, with, the, with the money they got from the state, but who have an extremely activist approach. They're not, you know, they're basically saying you affirm whatever people's gender claim is, and they're, for example brought in by the civil service uh, to train people, oh, you know, you should use people's pronouns. They use phrases like, you know, if a person is is transgender, in other words, a different gender to the one they were assigned at birth. And what does the phrase assigned at birth mean? You know, your gender is what you are. Um, If if, if you have an issue with your gender, yes, under the law now, you you can... use a preferred gender instead. Mm. That was the 2015 legislation. Mm. But reality remains that, that you are actually a particular biological sex genetically and, and physically in the vast majority of cases. Obviously, there can be genetic and physical anomalous situations so on. And in all of these situations, you, you treat people with love and respect and charity. No argument. Well, I, I was just going but to say that to you because... reality to the, be other than what it is. The, the there's a touch of the old hippie in me and, you know, I, I sort of believe in living, let live in life. 
why not just, I mean, if somebody decides on a pronoun or whatever, why, why not just refer to that, Senator, and just get on with it, you know? And I think that's what most of us would do. Yeah. Um, I, I think the problem, as, as, as Colette Colfer has pointed out, is most of, us, most of us would do that as a matter of courtesy um, and, and kindness. The issue is, though, if you make it the law that we must do it, then you're, you're, you're basically saying that the law might compel you to say something that you don't actually believe to be real or true. And that's, that's crossing a line because that is turning reality on its head. I think the issue also becomes sensitive around children because if, if, if the logic of this is that the, that the transgender claim is true, um, then the, the logic that some of the yes. radicals are, are pushing with the support of the government, it seems, is that when a child says, they are that, that you treat that as true. Now, I've been talking to a lot of educators and teachers uh, in schools and, and actually they're very sensitive in the way they deal with these issues. They neither affirm it nor do they oppose it. They keep it nice and calm and country. They honour the person you know, mm. the person comes in with a different hairstyle or different clothes or whatever. You know, if you have a, a school that has a healthy culture that is against bullying or demeaning of a person for any reason, whether it's their sexuality or their apparent uh, gender uh, dysphoria or whatever issue it is, those issues needn't be problems. The problem occurs when you when you let ideology in and when you start saying that these are mm. there are rights here that must be followed. That's a problem because, it's, again, it, it's turning reality. It's interesting it. to see what's happening in the UK where, where children are concerned. There seems to be a bit of a rollback there, is there not? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're interesting because if Scotland was way out there under the Scot the Scottish National Party and, um, and indeed, you know, I know from talking to educators in schools here, particularly in the kind of Catholic faith sector, that they would have learned a lot from their Scottish counterparts about, about how to deal with these issues. And even that anecdotal knowledge that, you know, you neither affirm nor oppose, you just, you know, you keep it nice and calm and you, you keep it moving, you know, because your your responsibility is to be pastoral in a school setting. You know, that kind of experience is coming in. But it was interesting that um, uh, I think it was the, the Scottish First Minister uh, who Yousaf recently came out against the proposed um, law uh, change in the law in relation to gender. Mm -hmm. That was a, a positive sign. Um, but you still, you, 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 it, it's still not clear which way it's going to go in Britain because there are elements within, you know, the, the British political system and certainly within the media that say, you know, some of this stuff has gone crazy and it must be opposed. But there's still strong activist elements there as well. It's interesting. And, you know, in terms of the public's participation, as you say, because that's what we started off talking about and, uh, you know, whether yeah. or not that would be published. What, from, from your interaction with people, generally, what do you think the public are saying about this? I think there's an awful lot of the public that don't, you know, we all know people will be more focused on the budget now over the next couple of days than on any of these questions, that that's entirely understandable and right. However, I think there is a large section of the public that is a bit impatient with the amount of time and energy that this seems to be getting from government and from NGOs and the way that this thing is being pushed. And people don't like stuff being pushed at them, um, particularly in a way that doesn't allow for a discussion, you know. So there's a certain amount of um, head scratching um, around all of this, you know, what what is actually going on here with this, you know, 
increasing number of you know a hundred different genders yes. you, you know depending yeah. on what website you look up and the way that is being presented then as a matter of rights that you have to kind of respect you know my declaration in this area and so on so I think people are are a lot of people are somewhere between be, being bemused and irritated by it I say most of the time it's not a problem it really becomes a problem when it has the it, it could impact on schools so for example, uh, and I have been uh, posting about this on Twitter, or X as it's now known, um, there is a problem with the National Cur- Council for Curriculum and Assessment and the draft um, uh, curriculum that it has been preparing for social, social pe- personal and health education, SPHE. Um, they're proposing that this would be a subject or an area, obviously, in it already is in secondary school, but also in primary school. But... For example, in relation to the junior cycle draft curriculum that they produced there last year, they were their their original language had references to gender being a spectrum, for example, and uh, and using those kind of political terms like cisgender and and the gender assigned at birth and all of that stuff that's very ideological and doesn't reflect reality. So they had a consultation and a lot of. They got a lot of pushback. I think about 4,000 was the number of kind of people who either submitted or signed up to submissions objecting to aspects of this. They ignored it originally, but there was an eventual pushback, and they took phrases like uh, gen- the notion that gender is a spectrum out of the, the junior cycle uh, dra- uh, curriculum that they were proposing. But what's interesting is that some of the textbooks that are now going around in schools reflect... Uh, stuff that the National Council for Curriculum Assessment was originally proposing, but with, which they pulled back on, you know? So aspects of the textbooks are actually not suitable for schools. And I've actually seen some of them myself. They, they, they kind of leave hard questions out and they kind of go with assumptions that are not necessarily true at all. So for that idea, yeah. for example, that spectrum, the gender is a spectrum, all of, all, of, all of that stuff. So you have an ideology that it isn't just, this isn't just going on in social media or in some kind of fringe corner of public discourse. This stuff has crept in. In It's there among some of the people who are pushing the curriculum in schools, and it is time for parents to be vigilant about this. And I don't think it's acceptable for the Minister for Education, for example, to say, oh, well, parents can always opt out of this if they want. Why should the onus uh, be on parents to take their kids out of class when something unsuitable and unscientific and unevident is being put across, you know, it, it, it is it is a matter for schools, I think, to consult with their with yes. their parents and, and and to determine according to their ethos and values, and not to be dictated to by the by the state, particularly not if it's if it's not evidence based. The the pity though is that I mean we're having a reasonable conversation this morning, but sometimes the views that you would hold, Senator, would be associated with some of those ugly scenes we saw outside of the Doyle or indeed what happened with the libraries down south and the, and the like as well. That's the pity about it, because that will always be thrown at the likes of you then in midst conversation. Yeah, well, that's what Joe Brawley tried to do, of course, and that's why I kind of push back so hard, because in, 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 in many ways, it is him that's trying to, and, and he's if that's trying to close down a conversation by saying, you know, if you dare speak up against any of this, we'll paint you into a corner. With, with other people who, we, who who nobody likes, you know. And, um, I mean, if you look at that protest that took place outside Leinster House, I didn't see it myself, but from everything I've read and learned, it was a relatively small bunch. Um, so there may have been some decent people in there at the wrong place at the mm. wrong time, but there was a, you know, 
a bunch of unpleasant people, very unpleasant people, but not terribly coherent about what they were looking for. You, it, it may very well be that they were jumping on the bandwagon yes. of issues around immigration or transgender ideology or so on. So, you know, I think what people need to do here is to follow the argument and not to um, and yes. not to fall for the label. I, I was very, I, I, I'm fiercely interested in, in body language, and I was looking at the oh. the minister. Uh, as you were speaking, you said, I mean, she was very hostile about, I mean, you know, she was cross with you. She was, and I, and I kind of didn't understand it because she went on by saying, you know, men don't have to um, pretend to be women in order to attack women. And of course, yeah, so she spoke about her own credentials where, where speaking up on that is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. And look, and congratulations to her for anything she has done in the area of domestic violence. But that wasn't the point and isn't the point. And it's kind of an irrelevance to, to bring that up if what you're trying, you know, instead of answering the point that's being made, uh, I, I'm saying unashamedly that I think the government's attitude to, to gender is, is emerging as a, as a risk issue uh, for, for the Irish people that they're supposed to be serving. And the reason I say that is because they are, they appear to be on board with, with, with an ideology. I mean, why is it, as you mentioned, libraries? Like, how the hell can it be the case that libraries can have books um, in their young adult section, and that's for children as young as 12, that are absolutely obscene, that are pushing a particular version of human sexuality that is based on politics and ideology rather than, than evidence and fact, and where some of the stuff is extraordinarily pornographic. Um, uh, yes, but I'm sure you'd agree behavior. that protest around that has to be proper and measured. And, exactly, and, 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 and people, exactly, and that's what I'm saying. Yes. People should protest, they should protest in large numbers, they should be vocal, but they should always be courteous. And they should remember as well, and I mean, it's completely inappropriate to be, you know, um, engaging if, if it happened, and as I say, I wasn't on the ground, but of any intimidation of people in the library, they should remember that those are people doing their jobs. And indeed, there's people in, in working in those libraries who have gone on the record and letters pages to say, you know, we don't think yeah. this stuff should be in the library either. So, exactly, it's a question, but but I do think we need more um, public impatience with the government, not less. I mean, it, it's appalling that even now, I mean, again, there was something mild, I think, from Leo Bradford to say, yeah, maybe some of that stuff isn't appropriate. That's not enough. There are child mm. protection I, I found it interesting, here. but the cynic in me would say that elections are looming, I suppose, and, you know. Well, well, this is it. As I said, Fine Gael is a mix of people, and, and what, I, what I want to know is where is the government on its child protection credentials, and is there, you know, some kind of, do they feel beholden? I, I think it's fair to say, by the way, and again, I don't, you know, I, I get on well with people across the spectrum, politically, but I will say that in, re in relation to the Green Party, politically and historically and across Europe, some of their ideas in this whole area of human sexuality, uh, even touching on child protection, politically, uh, going back decades and into Germany and the origins of the kind of the green left movement, is very, some very unhealthy stuff. And, and I hope that that you know, ideology isn't kind of on the table in government because they're you know, in government with the Greens as a, as, a, as a kind of a minority party of government. I think, you know, without making any accusations, I, I, you know, I don't think it's acceptable that 
if it's the case that I, I think what could be happening here is that you have a kind of a Green Party driving a certain ideology around the gender politics and the kind of the pragmatists in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, including at the at the highest level, Michal Martin and Leo Bradford, who I think have been a real disappointment on these issues, kind of going along with it, just say, you know, it's all about just keep the government together, get to the next election. Mm. These values don't matter. These people who are objecting will go away. I, that's why I think people need to have some very, right. you know, informed questions to ask their politicians when they come to the doorstep about S- these things. Senator, we appreciate your time this morning and thank you very much indeed for coming on with us. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, Frank. Bye bye to you now. That's Senator Ronan Mullen speaking to us there. Uh, back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie now, an Irish-Israeli citizen is missing after Hamas militants launched that surprise attack on Israel on Sunday. The missing of uh, the mother of missing 22-year-old Kim Damty is uh, from Portly. She spoke to ABC yesterday. Kim didn't realise that there was like seven or eight Toyota vans full of terrorists and they just shot everywhere. They just shot them, slaughtered them like ducks. And that's the reason I'm here. Because I want the world to condemn this behaviour. I didn't bring my children up to hate anybody. You can't sleep. All I can think about is where she is, if she's suffering, if she's still alive. I just want her back. And that's absolutely heartbreaking to listen to. Uh, Thomas Conway is with me in studio. We always have a chat about global politics on a Monday, but we can't avoid... Uh, what happened over the weekend because it was monumental really wasn't it was it? monumental yeah. and her, her words there bring it home I mean the, on a human level on yeah. a human yeah. level yeah. Uh, the depth of this the depth of despair that she's in and I presume many Israelis are in and Palestinians at this point it was a monumental event over the weekend I couldn't believe it when I woke up on Saturday morning when I saw yes. uh, when I saw what was being reported at the, the thing is, the, the thing I can't, I can consistently can't believe is that it, the Israeli intelligence services fail to detect this sort of attack. And everybody's incredulous about that because of the sophistication and, you know, the track record of intelligence. Precisely. And we have to, we have to put this, I mean, in context here. The Israeli intelligence services are among the best in the world. Behind the US and the Russians, they're right up there at the top list. Yes. Uh, they would have surveilled uh, Hamas and and, uh, and militant organisations throughout that region yes. for years and years and done a relatively good job. Now, and how they fail to see this coming? And I, I just... know you'll talk to us in more detail about that in just a moment, but just for clarity, because sometimes people are confused about this part of the world and all that's going on there. Hamas, who and what are Hamas? Well, example? chiefly, it should be said, they are a terrorist organisation and have been branded as such by, by the US, by the UK, by the EU. All the major Western powers have branded it a terrorist organisation. But if we strip, the, strip it back to its essentials, to its core, it is a Palestinian militant group which operates in the Gaza Strip. It's been in control of the Gaza Strip since around 2007, 2008, uh, been controlling uh, the population there. It's frequently clashed with the Israeli government, uh, so it has frequent frequent military incursions. Uh, nothing of this scale ever before, uh, but certainly tensions have always been high between the Israelis and Hamas, this organisation. So one could say they're not representative of the, the entire population of the Palestinians. They're a militant wing, but they also have a political arm. They're an extremely dangerous group, 
as we've seen over the weekend, you know, to yes. uh, you know, with with the devastation they've wreaked upon Israel. Uh, but they're an extremely serious. They're serious. They have serious military assets at their disposal. And I suppose the pity is that many of us who would have had great sympathy for Palestine over the years and what's been happening to the Palestinian people, Hamas are not the Palestinian people. It's, no. It's important to point that it, out. It should be it? said, they're not yeah. representative of, I would say, a majority of Palestinians. Yeah. You heard you heard uh, the woman speaking there. She raised her daughter. She didn't raise her daughter to hate anyone. And I'm yeah. sure that's the same for many Israelis and yes. Palestinians, that they completely condemn the violence between between their two countries. And the Gaza Strip, Thomas, will you just indicate to us what, what exactly we're talking yeah. about there? So it's a strip of land, 41 kilometres long, 10 kilometres wide, home to about 2.3 million people. So it is one of the highest population densities in the world. Essentially, it's an enclave of Palestinian, uh, of the Palestinian population. It's sheltered in between, squeezed in between Israel to its east uh, and Egypt to its to its southwest. So it's bordering both countries. It's been in control by Hamas since 2007. Uh, they control, the, they're essentially the government of the Gaza Strip. Uh, it's been blockaded, however, by Israel. Israel has only allowed limited supplies of food and aid to get in there. It's estimated that uh, about 80% of the population of Gaza depends on international aid and about 1 million people there rely on daily food aid. So the situation there is nothing short of desperate. Uh, it's a really difficult situation for those on the ground. And of course, it's being exacerbated now because we have retaliatory airstrikes by Israel, inevitable in the circumstances, but will lead to a lot of loss of civilian life there. And you'd wonder, and I'm careful about saying this, but you'd wonder what that retaliation is proportionate, you see, and yeah. will it be pro- and, proportionate? And that is the danger. I mean, I think... Most people would acknowledge that Israel has the right to defend itself. A lot of EU leaders have came out and said that. A lot of world leaders, Joe Biden amongst them. The thing is, will this response be proportionate and could it escalate things seriously further? I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister here, he's in an invidious position. His country is effectively at war, as he has said. Uh, he's at the head of government now. He has to be seen to act and there will be mm. demands from the Israeli public to act uh, violently to, to really lash out at the Palestinians, uh, at Hamas, at the groups. The big danger, of course, is that other people are taking this opportunity because of the hatred of Israel and this could turn into something really colossal. Yeah, and there's a broader dynamic to this. You have the Iranians supporting uh, supporting Hamas. They're on the side of the Hamas. You have Hezbollah, a Lebanese militant group who are also on the side of mm. Hamas. And, and in fact, they attacked over the weekend. As they well, attacked, they, they launched a smaller incursion over yeah. the weekend uh, as well. So they're all operating there behind the scenes. And this is we talk, when we talk about proxy wars in the Middle East, this is precisely what we're talking about. Uh, you know, one group operating with the backing of another, with the backing of a country such as Iran. Israel is on the verge of securing a, a historic peace deal with Saudi Arabia. That, I would imagine, will be cast to one side now as a result of these events, uh, as a result of the severity. And the country is in for, as Netanyahu said, a long and attritional war. I would imagine that's the way, that's the passage that it's going to flow in. Uh, that's the direction that the war is going to go in now. Uh, it remains to be seen what Israeli uh, military will do as part of their response. But, I mean, you can be sure 
it will it will involve battering and bruising the the Hamas forces and the Palestinian forces to the um, the nth degree. The fact that Hamas though have taken hostages, yeah, that's that's going to be interesting in in terms of how they how Israel deals with with. Them. I assume the tactic behind that was prisoner swaps. So I would assume. Uh, the reason for taking hostages is that so they have something to demand on their side in exchange for Hamas militants being returned to uh, to the Gaza Strip because inevitably the Israeli military, like let's be honest about this, the Israeli military are powerful. They are, I think, the most, amongst the most powerful military forces in the world. They should get on top of this fairly quickly despite the monumental intelligence failure. Once they do, there will be a demand from Hamas to return certain troops uh, in exchange for hostages, that is where the hostages will become useful. And I hate talking about humans in this kind of way, uh, but that is just the reality of the situation there on the ground. It's a really dangerous, it's a really precarious situation at this point. uh, And I think it's very hard to predict which way it will go. It's a tipping point for the Middle East in general. I mean, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about the Middle East and and its monumental potential, its potential to... Uh, kind of make its way past the violence of times past yes. and breathe new life into its uh, into its citizens and into its countries. This is a step backwards. It's a step backwards for the region. It's a step backwards for Israel and Palestine. And uh, it is going to have serious repercussions across the region and across the world, I think. So in terms of what could happen next then if we take worst case scenario on on this then Thomas we're talking about huge escalation I guess we're talking about huge escalation and look Israel sees the potential for a war that could open up on, on multiple fronts here a worst case scenario is that it could draw in Hezbollah properly into the fight They've, you, we mentioned it there they have uh, launched a tenuous tenuous attempt uh, to strike Israel. If it draws them into the fully-fledged fighting, that will exacerbate the war. The Israeli military has, offered a ma- or has ordered a massive reinforcement of troops, as well as intense air raids in Gaza. It is indicated it is planning a ground operation there. Now, that bit is crucial. Will the Israelis actually march into Palestinian territory? Because that's huge, isn't that it? That is huge. That is a major escalation yeah. on, the part of the pal- on the part of the Israelis. And it's something that Netanyahu has resisted over the years and Netanyahu, let's remind, let's remind ourselves, is in charge of a right-wing government here. He would be seen as quite hawkish in terms of his strategy towards the Palestinians, in terms of his strategy towards Gaza and Hamas but he has always resisted the urge uh, to launch a, a, a military incursion into Gaza territory. There's a lot of finger pointing then at Biden's um, uh, administration as well because I think they've just recently given billions to, to the Palestinians and indeed to Iran as well. Yeah, indeed. And and the Biden administration has kind of stepped back a little bit from the Middle East since coming into power. They've had their sights on China. They're having they're they're looking at the bigger picture here at the moment. But certainly now this is going to open up a whole new can of worms. Uh, we had President Biden coming out unequivocally over the weekend in his condemnation yes. of the Palestine of of the invasion of uh, the Hamas invasion. Uh, but it would be very interesting to see the White House's next moves in this scenario. It needs to play a careful balancing act. It can't afford to escalate the situation further, but it must be seen as an ally, a key ally to Israel, because it is one of Israel's key allies, even if it has kind of deviated from that in recent in recent months. It is a prime ally of Israel, has been consistently down the years. It's propped the country up, uh, down right down through the decades, and it will have to show steadfast support at this point in time. 
I mean, this is going to be happening in parallel to all that's happening in Ukraine, for instance, as well. I mean, is there, is there any correlation there? Is there is there anything where Russia is concerned? Well, it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? You have two two kind of wars of, of a similar, a slightly broadly similar nature. There is occupation on both sides. Uh, the proxy of America on both sides. The proxy well. of America on both sides. Russia, as far as I know, is not aligned with the Palestinians. It has kind of kept its foot out of this conflict. Not in the Middle East in general. We have to remind, her, remind ourselves it has troops in Syria uh, and other places. But as far as the Israel-Palestinian conflict is concerned, uh, it has kind of resisted the urge to intervene there. But surely there will be some kind of response. Very interesting, the United Nations Security Council has convened an emergency session in uh, in the past few hours. It'll be interesting to see what the Russian delegation says at that, what stance it takes on the war. Presumably it will condemn it. Uh, it will condemn the fighting. But it is very, very serious now. We have two major... Uh, major incidents happening, one in Europe, one in the Middle East. It's a world at war, effectively. We have these conflagrations popping up all over the place now, and it's really worrying. It's worrying for people people in the West, people here, for the people living in those territories. It's a really serious and dramatic situation. It's interesting, and of course, the the relationship between Palestine and uh, Israel has been trough-like over the years, you know, huge outbreaks, and then there's peace talks, and then there's... Um, you'd wonder, though, how, you know, they could look at peace at this point it, it you know, seems and, like and who would be the good broker in there yeah it seems like the prospect of a two-state solution and this is the solution whereby yeah. a, an, an independent palestine would coexist alongside of israel and most right-thinking people will believe yeah that most that, that, which yeah. most people have agreed yeah. to and most people have advocated including the irish government but that prospect seems further away than ever right now i think hamas have damaged themselves and damaged the credibility of the two-state solution by launching this attack israel is never going to agree to something like that at this point was there a little hyperbole in the uh, description by israelis that this was their 9-11 this was their pearl harbor yeah i listened to that this morning i wondered myself uh, they obviously feel that way and I suppose you have to remember that it's a time of high emotion, high adrenaline for a lot of these uh, Israeli military figures and a lot, of, a lot of the Israeli population. So maybe they will say things that maybe not may not be entirely accurate. I do, I do detect a hint of hyperbole, of exaggeration there uh, in that line. It's maybe not as severe, but it is one of the darkest days in Israeli history. There is no doubt about that. Over, over a thousand killed now as a result of that. That figure is likely to rise uh, and more the bloodshed will probably continue. Yeah, I, I have to admit when I, I read about it over the weekend, I got scared by it, you know, yeah. because you're right. When you look at it in conjunction with what's happening in Ukraine, the possibilities, you know, are just... Yeah, and we have, I suppose, the whole issue of nuclear weapons and now the Hamas is not armed with nuclear weapons, we should say that. But, I mean, it brings this dynamic into it. It brings... Uh, it's another conflict on, you know, in relatively close to Europe, relatively close to European shores. Uh, the world is at war, as I've said, as I said previously. You know, different places, different hotspots, all right. Uh, but certainly, conflict is raging, and it's as intense and as violent as you might imagine. We we had it. You know, it was best seen in that music festival in Israel, in which yes. over two hundred and sixty were killed over the weekend. I mean, a devastating scenario. Party revelers enjoying a concert. Uh, Hamas forces. Yes launched their invasion and um, sprayed um, them with bullets. Par paragliders and... The paragliders, and the uh, you know, an incredible... Again, I go back to the Israeli intelligence failure. 
Uh, I don't want to sound critical of the Israeli intelligence forces, but certainly it was a monumental failure, and it's very hard to conceive of how they failed yes, to spot or failed there, to detect a, anything. There's a fence, my understanding, going along that that border there, and that was infiltrated. Yeah, it was well, simply breached. Yeah. I mean, they simply drove bulldozers through it, which is astonishing when you think of it. When you think of the level of security, this is an Israel yeah. with an Iron Dome missile system, a missile system for detecting cruise missiles floating into the the skies, and yet it, it, it allowed um, Hamas to breach through this fence. There's so much uh, more that we had planned to talk about, but obviously this took precedence uh, the, this morning, Thomas. But in terms of what to watch out for? Uh, in, in terms in, of what to watch out come? for, well, obviously, to k- keep an eye on this conflict, yes. I mean, it is uh, it is going to dominate news headlines in the next week. More broadly, France has started pulling soldiers out of Niger in Africa. Emmanuel Macron's military drawdown in Africa's re- Sahel region continues. It has started to, to take troops. France had an operation in the Sahel region of Africa, operating widely there against jihadist forces. It has decided to withdraw those troops now, which is a little bit of a crawl back from a French perspective. It's worrying because it gives the these jihadist forces in Africa the lights of uh, Boko Haram and other Islamist organisations. It gives them increased sway in the region. So that is, uh, it's a hotbed of conflict anyway. It's another hotbed of conflict. Right. But that was part of the French Empire, wasn't it? It was part of the French Empire. Yeah. French is heavily embroiled, embroiled in a lot of countries there, but it has started to draw back from it. So that's one to watch out for. Uh, we had the whole furore last week of uh, the US Congress and the ousting of Speaker Kevin McCarthy, yeah. which was a huge thing in itself. The withdrawal of Ukrainian aid in, in a US budgetary package, that was a major thing. Uh, and that would, I, I assume, be, be capturing the headlines if it weren't for the Israeli crisis. The fact that the US is lurching closer to, uh, to a government default, mm. essentially. Yes. Uh, and I presume because they're already talking about helping Israel with arms and the, the like now as, as well. So will that take as well from the Ukraine? It certainly will. It certainly too, will. Yeah. And they've withdrawn aid from Ukraine. There's a lot of Republican Republican senators there, Republican congressmen who fundamentally agree, disagree with the Ukrainian war yes. uh, and have voiced their opposition to that. And just finally, what's happening where Beijing is concerned and that fight with Brussels and uh, it uh, seems to be, what, EV? EV, this is electric vehicles. So yeah. this is a very interesting one, really. Beijing is squaring up for a, f- a big fight with Brussels over an electric vehicle probe uh, which was launched. It takes aim after Beige- Brussels formally initiated a probe into its electric vehicle subsidies. It's effectively a, a commercial war on behalf of Beijing with the EU, uh, with European Union uh, forces. Uh, and it's very difficult to see how it will play out because it will damage the economic prospects of both nations uh, or, or both entities of both the EU and China. Uh, it's a very it's a it's it's a difficult situation for the EU and for Xi Jinping, and I would imagine it will continue for some time into the future. Thomas, always a pleasure, and thanks so much for putting Cheers, all that Fran. together for us this morning. Thank you. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Our Mr. Mr. Voucher, a 100 euro voucher, is going to Bridget Fogarty from Ballypatrick. Well done to you, uh, Bridget. And of course, uh, we're delighted to give that.
that away by way of celebration of the fact that Mr. Mister are holding their clearance sale at Kilcoran Lodge Hotel from this coming Thursday and it will run right through until Sunday. Keep your calls coming into Emma on 1800 938 007 and that text and WhatsApp of course is 083 311 Fran listening to the discussion on Palestine is sickening not a single mention of the Israeli aggression against the Palestinian people since Israel's inception the same colonialism even that held this country down for hundreds of years is what's occurring in Palestine uh, today, well, what we were discussing today, I suppose, was what happened over the weekend. Obviously, you're not a regular listener uh, to the programme because you would have heard us uh, speak many times indeed about uh, the plight of the Palestinian uh, people. And uh, even when I was talking to Thomas there, I uh, did sort of raise my fears about the proportion of the retaliation from Israel. And already we're hearing about that, where innocent people are being killed, including, I think it was about 20 children in in, in one of uh, the attacks. Uh, My friend Paul Lafford on to say, Hope all is good, Fran. I've always supported the Palestinian cause, never made a secret of it. This weekend's events were horrendous, barbaric, and has changed much world opinion. Uh, Make no mistake, Israeli policy has created this, but the murder of the innocent cannot be condoned. There's a lot of hypocrisy and virtue signalling from the world as it has turned a blind eye to continuous Israeli aggression. Most worrying for me is to see the United States being dragged into another war front. They're already marred in Ukraine, where, let's be honest, Russia has won. And, uh, well, a lot of people might disagree with that, uh, Paul. Um, and now they're stretched in the Middle East. We should all be very worried. Indeed. Well, I am, Paul, as I said, when I read what's uh, been going on over the weekend, I was very, very concerned indeed. Somebody else saying that Gaza is an open prison. Palestinians have suffered 75 years of ethnic cleansing, 15 years of a blockade of Gaza, regular raids and uh, the building of Israeli settlements on Palestinian land in the West Bank and the continued targeting of civilians by Israeli state, all with little or no condemnation from the international community. If you treat people like that, you're basically guaranteed a violent reaction. The solution is for Israel to respect international national law and recognise Palestinian sovereignty. And that notion of, I mean, most right-thinking people would believe in the notion of, uh, you know, two states, but you couldn't help but wonder, has this taken all that back a pace or two now? We spoke to wheelchair user Michelle O'Shea on the the programme on on Friday, and she relies very heavily on day services from the Irish Wheelchair Association. And she recently shared her concerns about the service on social media. Now, Josephine Carroll is manager at South Tipperary Irish Wheelchair Association and joins me now. Josephine, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you? And good to talk to you today. Michelle was a great spokesperson for the she Wheelchair was, uh, Association. She was terrific, Josephine, wasn't she? She was absolutely terrific. We were very proud of her to see how well she spoke um, and how passionately she spoke about her service as well, friend, and what it means to her. Um, we were we were blown away by how well she spoke. She was brilliant. Yes, and certainly the amount of correspondence we got following it, you know, to people who really took to heart what she had to say. How would you, from your point of view, Josephine? Will you tell us how how it is at uh, the moment? I mean, pay is the big thing, isn't it? Yes, pay is absolutely the massive thing between us and the HSE now at the moment because the HSE staff that are doing the exact same role as our staff are getting paid €20 Euros and two cents an hour. 
um, and we're getting paid 50, our staff are getting paid 15.82 per hour and that's a pay gap of 40 euros and 20 cents an hour, which equates to um, over 8,500 a year. So it's not a small amount of money, you know. So uh, we're really having difficulty with recruiting and retaining staff. Um, even when we're advertising for staff now, the, candid- the candidates that are applying, we, we're lucky if we get one or two applications now, whereas before we would have gotten a good few, but we just can't compete with the current um, pay gap. And Michelle spoke about, uh, you know, I think in the last couple of weeks, uh, a couple of the days, she couldn't go in to use the services or, or be helped out because you just don't have enough staff to go around. Well, I suppose she gave an example as last week that we were closed for three days, but really since February this year, we have been suffering service continuation issues, whereas we've had to reduce services, reduce the amount of people that we've been able to bring in. Um, We've had to close on certain days, sometimes with notice, sometimes without um, like sometimes it feels like we're we're flying by on a wing and a prayer, friend. To be honest, because you know if one person rings in sick or you know if a staff member isn't available or something, we're we, we can be thrown into absolute chaos trying to cover shifts and services. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And why do you think you're forgotten about uh, Josephine? Because there's no doubt. I mean, we heard very clearly from Michelle how important it is what you do. Why are you being forgotten about? Is it because disability is forgotten about? I, I think Michelle hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, people don't realise what, what what an important service it is that we provide unless they have a family member or, um, you know, a relate, relative or themselves attending the service. But I suppose it's not just the day services that we provide. We provide assisted living service as well. We have independent living service. We have school leaver service all here in Tipperary and throughout Ireland. But, um, you know, our staff go in and they help people get up out of bed in the morning um, and help them go to bed at night, um, help them with their food, with their daily living tasks. So, you know, we're really, really concerned that if this strike goes ahead, that our service users will be, you know, be really discommoded. And tell me about the strike, uh, Josephine. Does it look at the moment that it's going to go ahead? Well, we haven't had any miracle happen over the weekend anyway, Fran, um, and I suppose we've been calling on the government uh, since May. We've um, submitted a pre-budget submission to them to achieve pay parity for our staff, and, you know, we're not really getting anywhere. So I suppose, look, it's next Tuesday. It's tu- like it's a, it's a week away, <laughs> really. Um, and none of us want to go on strike. No staff want to go on strike. We know what our service provides for our members. Uh, we know how important it is because a lot of our service users wouldn't get out of their homes for the week. Uh, they wouldn't get to meet up with their friends. This is their social aspect. They get to go shopping. They get to do whatever they want inside in the day service. Uh, it's really choice-driven. It's about what they want to do. So it's not about what we think they should be doing. They decide every week, every month, what they want to do. And we work the plan in, say, for, for their their decisions. My understanding is the pay cuts following the crash that affected yeah. everybody. Um, the workers in the HSE, there was restoration of pay uh, for, for them, but not for you. Is that is that correct? 
Yes, that's correct. Um, the HSE restored the pay rates for HSE workers, but didn't do it for IWA workers. And we are contracted to deliver services on behalf of the HSE. So we took um, pay cuts in 2010 and in 2013. Um, so that's why the pay gap has increased so much. Uh, I suppose the last time IWA staff got an actual pay rise was in 2008, so 15 years ago. And I think we can all agree that there's been a huge increase in the cost of living since 2008, Frank. Well, that's for that's for certain, Josephine. What about public representatives? Are they on board with you? Are they getting this, Josephine? Um, well, we had uh, two public representatives attend last uh, last week to our service continuation meetings, Matthew McGrath and um, uh, Martin Brown, and they both raised the matter in the doll last week as well, which we're very grateful for. We've also had correspondence from Michael Lowry, and he's raised this with the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. Um, he has e- emailed that in to us. He wasn't available to attend as his calendar was full, and so was Alan Kelly. So, um, unfortunately, Alan had um, he had a bereavement in his family, so he wasn't. But he did say that he was very much in favour of uh, of the IWA staff and all Section 39 organisations. Um, but, like, look. We really need to, we really need to see something done this week because you know there are people really concerned like Michelle, but there's thousands like Michelle that are really concerned about what's going to happen then if there's a strike action next week because the strike action isn't a one-day strike action, it's indefinite. So that makes it a bit more, I suppose, uh, scary for the members because they don't know when this will end or you know they, they're not saying oh we could be at home for a day or a week. You know, they just they want to know when they're mm. going to be getting their service because it's so important to them. Well, and, and you know, Michelle O'Shea described the importance of that. That it's everything to her, essentially. You know, from a social point of view, from a, a, a travel and transport point of view, all, all of these things. Yeah, well, a lot of our service users wouldn't have um, their own car. And I suppose even for, like, family members, it's a vital break as well for family members that are the full-time carer at home. They know that if their their family yeah. their loved one is coming in here, that they're going to be well looked after. They're going to be taken care of. They can make plans to do something that they want to do, whether it's meet a friend for a coffee, go and get a hair appointment, or anything like that. They can go off and they can do that on their day that they know is free, and they know that they have that respite. All right, Josephine. Well, we'll be following uh, the story, Josephine. And, and you know, I mean, as I say, the response to Michelle's piece, uh, you can be certain that the listeners to Tip FM are completely uh, on board and appreciative of the work that you all do. So if that's any help in terms of pushing politicians into doing something, anyway, hopefully it will work. Josephine, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you, friend. Well, we'd love people to just pick up the phone and ring their politicians and and vocalise their support as well for yes. for the Irish Wheelchair Association because and for sec- Section Thirty Nine workers. Because it's important to point out, any family might need your help very, very quickly indeed. Do you, exactly. Do you know what you I mean, Josephine? You yeah. don't ever know until it yeah. knocks on your own front door, friend. You don't ever know, and we don't know how lucky we are. You know, when we have our full health, we don't know how lucky we are or how quickly that could change in the blink of an eye. Well, that's for sure. Look after yourself, Josephine, and thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. As Josephine Carroll, Josephine is manager of South Tipperary Irish Wheelchair Association. Brian was on to say, Fran, the Palestinian ambassador in London, made the point that two million Palestinian citizens 
excuse me, have been taken hostage by Israel over the last 16 years and nothing is spoken about that. The Gaza tri- uh, Strip is literally an open-air prison. I don't condone innocent people being killed, but Palestinians are deserving Uh, are desperate and the world has turned its back on them because of the treatment of Jews during the Second World War. Israel believes it can do anything it pleases to subjugate uh, Palestinians without repercussions. They still play the poor us card, says Brian. And uh, yeah, lots of compliments coming in as always for Thomas Conway as well. Thank you so much for that. We think he's fantastic and I always look forward to our conversations on Mondays. Uh, We'll take a break back with more in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie B says, I have no problem with uh, gender identity as long as you're old enough to make that decision. I have a massive problem with biological males participating or accessing female sports and uh, spaces. I also have a big issue with anybody calling me a cis uh, woman. I'm a full natural born woman and like many women over the years have fought for the freedom we have today and many women suffered so we could vote. There's an agenda out there and it's not healthy. Now just in case you've just joined us, uh, that's B making reference to my chat with uh, Senator Renan uh, Mullen a little earlier on in uh, the programme. Uh, Catherine was on to say your gender is confirmed at birth. What part of that don't gender mafia understand and lots more coming in on that today and some more coming in where the country music discussion as well uh, with Patrick um, earlier on um, where that's concerned too and that's uh, where we were chatting about the country music show on the late late on Friday night now tomorrow is World Mental Health Day and the overall objective of World Mental Health Day is to raise awareness of mental health issues around the world and to mobilise efforts in support of mental health the theme of this year's campaign is mental health is a universal human right. Now the day provides an opportunity I suppose for all stakeholders working on mental health issues to talk about their work and uh, what more needs to be done to make mental health care a reality for people worldwide. Uh, Maggie Morrissey is a recovery education facilitator for South Tipperary with the Recovery College South East and she joins me in studio. Good morning to you Maggie. Good morning friend, thank you for having me. You're very welcome and lovely to see you today. To begin with, can I ask you, World Mental Health Day, is it useful, Maggie, to have a day like that designated towards mental health? It is very much so because it gets the word out there. Um, Like with me coming in here today, I can tell you about what's going on in South Tipperary for people with mental health problems. That could be just... That could be... I mean, it's a whole... Uh, spectrum yes. of uh, things you could be um, at stress at work and, and we'd be able to help you with that with a workshop or something like that or it could be um, a mental illness and we could help you with those as well so it, it's yeah, I, I was struck by that in fact with some of the workshops um, that you're holding is that the spectrum is amazing isn't it? It, it is it's, yeah. it's from people being anxious right up to very serious mental absolutely health issues, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to get it out there to people that um whatever there's there's always a solution for something there's always a way to work around yes what's what's happening to you tell me about recovery college southeast the recovery college southeast is um the main building is in uh kilkenny and it covers the five counties of the cho5 area mm. so it's waterford kilkenny carlo tipperary and 
I forgot, Wexford. Wexford, yes. And um, it's educational based. So we we do educational workshops, bringing them out into the community Mm -hmm. and into the mental health community also. Right. So, very interesting. so it's through education, really, yeah. that you're helping people. Yes. Well, well, that's sort yeah. of sum it up. Tell me about some of the workshops uh, then, particularly, I suppose, where, where the local area is concerned. Yeah, well, tomorrow there's a workshop on psychosis and paranoia. And um, I won't be doing that on my own. I'll be doing that with a nurse. Mm. Co-producing these workshops are what we normally do. So we we co-produce. I'd be somebody with the lived experience, and then you'd have a nurse or or a social worker or whatever that has the professional experience. Mm. Did you say in. you have the lived experience? I do. Say? Yeah, I do suffer you? from anxiety and depression. Right. But since I've been doing these workshops, I've been doing these workshops for a long time. But that it helps me to stay well. Does it indeed? Yeah, yes. because you learn so. We're, all we're doing is facilitating. Yes. When we go in there, we facilitate the whole, the workshop to come up with their own answers. We give them a few uh, topics that they could work on. Yes. But they actually come up with the answers. And I tell you, you the old saying of every day is a school day yes. is really true because you learn so much from other people that have come in. That and, they, and you're bringing your own experience yes. to this, your own yeah. lived and that's, experience. That's to this, what yeah. the recovery workshops are all about it's a it's a it's a combination between the hse and people with lived experience so mm. when you're going to these workshops you're not just listening to somebody who's done a degree in this you're doing somebody who actually has the experience of going through these problems yes and it's interesting that you say that because i always believe that you know labels people are sort of lumped in to a particular label but there's a spectrum of everything oh there is absolutely and everybody's an individual and whatever their mental illness might be it's their individual experience of that is it not but the thing that we're trying to get across as well is that everybody has mental health issues issues everybody has mental health full stop yes whether it's good mental health or or okay bad mental health we're we're all the same i mean it's the same as like having a broken arm yes you've got to find a way to mend what's happening to you yeah but is there still stigma around it maggie is there um there is to a certain extent but it is getting better and i think it's only getting better by the likes of myself coming out and saying and not being not stigmatizing myself in saying I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm anxious or or that I yeah. I get depressed sometimes. I just come out and say it, and it's it's their problem if they don't yes. understand. It's one thing we always say in the workshops as well is what somebody else thinks of you is none of your business. Yeah, yeah. it's it's that's a very healthy it's what you think of yourself. A very healthy attitude, isn't yeah. it, to, to have that? Yeah. yeah. Was that part of your own issues that you worried about what people might think of you? Isn't um. It? To a certain extent, yeah, but yeah. it was more of a, a stress brought on the anxiety from... Yeah. So probably I wasn't in the right job or the or the right place at the time. And um, yeah. I think now that I'm... While I'm doing these, I just feel as though this is where I should... I belong. Right. This is what I love doing. Very good. Who can come along to this event uh, a- tomorrow then? Anybody. Anybody. Anybody okay. at all. But um, it's... Basically, four people with psychosis and paranoia. Yes. But there's like there's that one tomorrow, but there's another one next week that is self-compassion and kindness to yourself. Yes. Which I think anybody at all can come to because l- 
how many of us are actually kind to ourselves. Very few, I yeah. would say. Yeah. And just learning those little tricks to help you to be kind to yourself. Yeah. What, why? I often wonder about that. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies, are yeah, we not, I Maggie? Think you know? It's a big Irish thing as well. You're not supposed to... <laughs> you're not supposed to be nice to yourself. You're supposed to be sort of like... But you know that bloody voice that's going on in your head all the yeah. time? Criticising every word you say and yeah. every... Last week we had a hearing voices yes. and one of the nurses, the nurse that was in with us, came up with something that I thought was fascinating and it could, hap- it could be, you don't have to hear voices to listen to this, it's just he said, have a conversation with that voice mm. and say to that voice, well, where, where did you get that from? Yeah. And Con- why conf- do you think that? Confront it. Confront the voice. As opposed to accepting yeah. what, what the voice is. Yeah. yeah. And we all have that voice in our heads whether, yeah. we're, whether we're have a hearing voices yes. diagnosis or not. We all have that the, little that carrot constant, at the back that says that you can't do it. That critique that's yeah. going on all of the time. So the the learning self-compassion and kindness, that's, that's tomorrow week, 17th. is it? Tomorrow yeah, it's week. on the okay. 17th. What, what else is happening? And on the 24th, there's the self-belief is mm. the, the workshop on the 24th. And then in November, we've got a four-week workshop for anxiety. Yes. So that's a that's a really good workshop as well. So, yeah. it, you know, it'll help you with just if you've got just small anxiety bits or if you're really... Very anxious. Very anxious that you can't leave the house. Yeah. That kind of thing. But... Yeah. Um, and do you find that because, you know, there's peer support in, in all of these things, do mm-hmm. you think it brings people out who, who say, well, I'll be accepted here in some way? Yeah, I mean... So, the, the workshops that we've had this year, I've just found that the people have just clicked so well together mm. that they're all actually helping each other. Yes. And it's and along with that, we've got the Involvement Centre as well, which is in the place for you, which is a peer-led place where you can just come in, have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and just a chat. Or even if you just want to go in there for to be able to... The, had the first step of just going in there and sitting there and not talking to anyone, you can do that as well. Yes, of course. So everybody's accepted. Everybody's accepted for where they are at the time. Well, that's very good indeed. And it's open Tuesday to Friday from 11 till 1. Very good. If people want to go, do they have to register ahead no, of time? No, no, just... they can just go in there. We're on the first, we're on the ground floor of A Place For You and we're just mm. the room it's on Gladstone the Gladstone Street. In that's Bramble, Gladstone Street, okay. yeah. Yeah, I know it well. It's a fantastic yeah. service, service down there. Indeed. And we've also got a um, a little party on tomorrow afternoon where we're going to have uh, speakers and we'll read a few poems or somebody will tell a story or something like that and we'll just have scones and tea and coffee and whatever just for if anybody wants to come in for to celebrate Mental Health Day. Mm. Is there something about the world that we're living in, Maggie, that makes it difficult for maybe... Gentle people, vulnerable people, you know, people. I who think it's always been there. And not brash and the like, you know. Is I it? think it's always been there. We just haven't had the facilities for to bring yeah. it forward, and now we're we're getting that, and it's um, it's wonderful to see people actually, yes, coming out and doing stuff rather than sinking back in and just having. I mean, medication is is should be there, yes. but at the same time, recovery workshops really do work for people as well mm. i mean they work for me i'm i'm a mm. poster girl for it if you like because i i 
I started going to the workshops in 2013 and now I'm I'm giving workshops. So. so are you almost a different person now in terms of how you look at yourself and how you... I am. Yeah. I am in some ways. In other ways, I'm not. I still have that. I, I still have to work at it. Well, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, you've come in here this morning. And this I know, is... and I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no need to be terrified, but I think you're fantastic to come here because, I mean... You're sitting here, but you, you tell me you have anxiety. Yeah. Uh, and even, you know, the the most sort of out there people who come into a radio mm. station, they're a little bit anxious about it. So yeah. this is difficult for you, but you still, you brave it. You know? Yeah, because I think it's a, it's a, it's something I'm passionate about. Yeah. And I'm passionate about the people who will have a place to come, like the Involvement Centre and, um, and the recovery workshops as well. Talking about the Involvement Centre, if mm. you don't mind, while I remember. Sure. yes. Um, we have a new Involvement Centre coordinator. Uh, his name's David O'Dwyer, and he'll be over... The, there are three Involvement Centres at the moment. There's one in Tipperary, one in Carlo, and one in Kilkenny. So he's over all of that, mm-hmm. all of them now. And if anybody wants... We we badly need more volunteers. OK. So that we, we have enough volunteers for to open, but if somebody goes sick... It's difficult to... Right. And will this be based in place for you as well? In a place for you, okay, yeah. So an involvement centre is what exactly? Now? An involvement centre is a peer-led place, room that okay. you can go to where you can have a cup of tea, have a chat. You don't have to talk about what's wrong with you. Very good. And the volunteers, what kind of background would you need, do you think? Anyone. Anyone matter. that likes people. People, OK. Yeah. Right. And and that will be kind. Yes. And, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and non-judgmental and yeah. um, I mean even people that ha- have mental health difficulties, mm. if they if they come along to volunteer, it I've I've known from myself because I volunteer on a Thursday mm. that um, it helps you that way as well. Yes. Because you're out there and you're talking to people. Yeah. So and and if people listening to us today would like to volunteer, how do you go about that? You can ring David O'Dwyer on 085-783-4321 or email involvementcentres at gmail.com. All right, and Emma will Or you can just pop in and speak to somebody in there and they'll be able to show you on Very as good. well. Emma will have those details as well just in case you missed that but it's 0857834321 and uh, just to remind people again then so tomorrow yep. it's um, what, what is it tomorrow? It's understanding and living with psychosis, uh, psychosis and, and paranoia. paranoia. Okay. Yeah. But but you're particularly pointing to the self-compassion and kindness that is tomorrow week as well, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, that's very good okay. as well. Yeah, oh. that and absolutely everybody needs that. Right. None of us are kind to ourselves, really. OK, well, I hope you're kind to yourself after this because you did great, Maggie. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks very much. Lovely to see you today. And it's Maggie Morrissey, um, Recovery Education Facilitator for South Tipperary with the Recovery College South East. All right, I'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, winter can be difficult for people from rising energy costs to the festive period and the colder months can eat into your budget, of course. But one of our regular contributors and listeners, Rachel, was in touch with us about budgeting and she joins me now. Rachel, good morning to you. Hi, 
Fran. Good morning. Uh, great to talk to you, Rachel. Um, you think a lot about budgeting, and uh, I know that you're, <laughs> you're very careful, and you have some wonderful advice about it uh, as well. Um, what mistakes do we make, Rachel, where budgeting, particularly if things are a bit tight for us? Uh, not understanding your income and your outgoings. So for a lot of people, they get their ESP bill and it's like, oh God, that's up. But they're not bringing it back to what they actually need to know, Fran. Like the majority of people, if you speak to them, if I said to you, when was the last time you went back into contract on your electricity? The majority of people, yeah, yeah, Yeah. they don't answer. But as an example, I have my ESB marked to be emailed every time it's going out of contract. So I got another €100 credit to go back into contract a couple of months ago. Right. So, and and you you had this flagged for yourself that this was going to come up, and you saved yourself a hundred euro by doing so. Exactly. And I also asked my provider to mark my account and to email me two months beforehand. And then what I'll do, I'll go on to a comparison website called Bonkers.ie. Yeah. And it will show you all the different providers and the plans that they have. So when you're looking for your plan, you need to look at how do you operate as a family or an individual and the times that you work. And that's how you pick your plan from that. Okay? And sorry, before you go on, did did you just say to me there that you asked the provider to yes. get in touch with you a couple of, and and Correct. they'll they'll do that will they they will yes wow. they'll send an email yes so okay. i get an email two months before i'm due out of contract if you're not in contract you will be on what's called a general plan yes which is most likely the most expensive wow and they won't tell you about that unless you ask no. to be told is that fair to say Correct. That's wow. your responsibility to do that. Okay. Okay. And I suppose a lot of people don't realise, like, we have uh, services from the government, such as citizens' information, maps for budgeting, but we have an excellent tool, free online, that everybody can use, and they don't need financial expertise. And they don't need a financial advisor. If you go to ccpc.ie, C for cash, C for cash, C for pram, C for cash. Okay. Okay. If you click on consumers home, they also have a part for business home. But if you go on to consumer home and go in under money tools, they will give you comparisons, mortgages, loans, credit cards, that you can actually tighten up your long-term spends or plan for the future. And then under calculators, Fran, you have a budget planner. Now, in the budget planner, the beauty of this planner mm. that I haven't, maybe it is out there, I haven't found it. In your budget planner, you can put in your income weekly or monthly, 
you can uh, put in, let's say you were paid weekly. Yes. It will also allow you to put in child benefits monthly. So all the varying incomes and the various stakes, you can put them in as you actually get them without having to adjust them. I just, okay. I, I just put it up on the screen in front of me here. It's a fantastic service. I didn't know anything about Isn't this, it? Though. Isn't it just? Yes. And even yes. if you want to purchase goods, it, it tells you about your rights and Correct. Oh, that kind of thing. Yeah, well. Absolutely. So when you go in to your uh, calculators, Fran, under income, you can see on the right, hmm. you can change it to weekly, fortnightly, monthly, quarterly, yearly. So you can put your income in as you get it, and then go down, and under your expenses, you can put in when your car loan goes out. Is it weekly, fortnightly, monthly, your TV licence, yearly? You cannot get better than this. And, occur, of course, it's another um, service that we have, and it's free of charge. Yes, it's under consumer protection information there, but um, yeah, it's a, again, I, I didn't know, but but look, you're talking to the world's worst person <laughs> for managing money here, Rachel. So I'm all ears for you today. What about yeah. ener- what about energy? Because it's really on energy we make all the big mistakes, isn't it? Yes, agreed. Because it, it's like people don't know what they're paying, like the general plan. You like if you go in, some people think. Oh, I signed up for a plan. I'm okay. Mm. Actually, if you can't remember the date within the last two years that you had that phone conversation, or even I like set a reminder annually, mm. then you are not in the plan you believe you are in. It's time to pick up the phone to your provider and review it because when you're uh, a plan ends that they've put you on. There is a period of time. It could be six months, a year, two years. You will automatically default to a more expensive plan. You need to pick up the phone. Thank God. And, and I know yeah. a, a businessman told me about that uh, in recent times and what it cost. I mean, it was just horrendous yes, cost right. altogether just by, by being out of uh, contract, as you say. Yeah. Um, in terms of but, when we choose to to hoover or tumble dry or, or whatever as well. Th- yes. That's all important too, I guess, Rachel, is it? It is. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's say with your heating oil, okay, like it has been mild coming into the winter. A lot of people have their heat set to specific temperature, but at the minute it actually just is not required. Mm. So let's say if you turned the dial down by one degree, Just one degree will save you approximately 10% of your annual gas or oil bill. 10%? Yes. So instead of €1,000 in oil, you'd need 900 So bring it down two degrees, that's a little bit more. And like at the minute, it is mild. Mm. So you can put on your vest extra layers. If you're going around in a t-shirt in, in your home, well you require to spend the money so you can keep that money by putting on an extra layer. But just one yeah. one degree is 10% of the annual cost. That sounds interesting. The actual times that we choose then for our dishwasher and 
our, our washing machines and our tumble dryers. Is that important? It is connected to the plan you have chosen. Yes, yeah. Correct, you're right. Yeah. And as an example, to lead us in, okay, like to use an electric shower, mm. on average, now I'm going into kilowatts, the measurement of energy of electricity that an appliance will use. So an electric shower on average is 9.5 kilowatts. So to have it on for five minutes is on average 34 cents, okay? Mm. So logically, when the heating is on, most people have a bath burner or they have a system to heat their water. Mm. That hot water, if you have a bath, use the bath. You have the hot water, you don't need to spend on the shower. I'm, I'm blushing here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yes. and it, it's just that we don't think, Rachel, isn't it? You know, that we don't... It is, yeah. absolutely. And, like, if you look at a tumble dryer, it's three kilowatts, okay? Mm. So to turn it on for one hour alone is one euro, 29 cents, okay, on average. Mm. So you have two options here. One, I put my clothes out on a clothes cart. They're there for maybe two days. The majority of the wet is gone, but I only need to turn it on for half an hour to air them out. Or your spin cycle on your washing machine will reduce the wetness. But the higher you spin on your washing machine, the higher the cost. So the reduced spin going from maybe 1,600 down to 800 it's cheaper but you need to balance out are you then going to use that on your tumble dryer which is three times the cost wash machine one kilowatt tumble dryer three kilowatts so it may be worthwhile on your washing machine to do an an additional um, cycle of a drain for 10 minutes that's interesting. Do you know what opened people's eyes as well, Rachel, was last, I think it was last week, we were talking about uh, private health insurance. And again, the same story. Make those phone calls. Talk to people. You know, compare. Um, make sure you're getting value for your money. It's important all the time, isn't it? You were also talking and advising us to get out, even during winter. Get outdoors. There's no cost to it, and it can be very enjoyable. Exactly. Like, during the winter... Like, as an example, on Saturday, I bought my... Or, sorry, yesterday, I've my days all mixed up. (laughs) Me too. Me too. This weekend, I brought my boys swimming. So, you might say, Rachel, there's a cost to that. There is, but we had our showers for free. (laughs) (laughs) Very good, And then to go hiking, it's just a short little hike. Hmm. It's free bring sandwiches like I have a one hob little travel cooker Mm. and I just put in a bottle of butane gas into it if I'm pronouncing it correctly Mm. Mm. and uh, like that if you want hot food but we have sandwiches so we're not actually in the house the one appliance friend that costs the most in any house if you look at a TV a 
on average, most people would have maybe a 55-inch nowadays, okay? Mm. Mm. Over a 1,000 hours, that's 100 kilowatts. Okay. So if we bring back during the week, if kids come home at 3, 4 p.m., and we'll just say the television is on till 10 p.m. I'm not even leaving it on until 11. Yeah, yeah. That's, seven hour, that's seven hours. And I'm going to just say in the week, that's 49 hours. Okay. So in two weeks, look at the energy you're using. So 100 kilowatts it is roughly 1,000 hours of the television. So you're pretty much... Yeah. Half of that are over in one week when your tumble dryer at three kilowatts is one euro 29 per hour. A television that is not in use should be turned off. Yeah, and most of the time our televisions are on and we're not even looking at them. They're just there in the room. Rachel, I must leave it there, but but some fantastic (laughs) advice there. And uh, thank you very much indeed for coming on with us today. And I'll mend my ways, Rachel. I really will. Do. Next time... We speak, Fran, you will have done your budget calculator and we'll be talking about your three-year, your five-year and your ten-year plan and your ultimate goals for this year and the near future and we'll have you sorted. Rachel, everybody who knows me now would be giggling, I can tell you. Rachel, a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Fran? Yes, yes. Sorry, apologies. Just one last note on it. If you look after the pennies, the pennies will look after the pounds. <laughs> Very good advice indeed. <laughs> Rachel Margot, thank you so much and uh, good morning to you. That's uh, Rachel speaking to us this morning with some very good advice indeed about budgeting. Hours to Protect. Brought to you by Tip FM, the IBI and funded by Commission Naman with the television licence fee. Check out hourstoprotect.ie for more info. Could hemp farming be the future of Irish agriculture? The hemp market is expected to reach $41.7 billion globally by 2027. Hemp can be used to make a vast array of biodegradable materials. It requires very little fertiliser and is also considered a carbon sink, sequestering large quantities of CO2. Ireland could be seen as an important player in the market because it's ideally positioned between Europe and the US. While we do have a small number of hemp farmers here under the Hemp Cooperative, more are being encouraged to join. I spoke to two hemp farmers to find out more. So my name is Owen Crew. Uh, I'm the secretary of the Hemp Cooperative of Ireland. Owen, is hemp farming the future of farming in Ireland? I hope so, but it looks like we might need support from the government, like everything, to, to start off. Are people kind of reluctant to get into it? There might be this kind of preconceived notion that, that hemp farming is... I hate to say, but drug farming, essentially. Yeah, there is a big stigma around it, and we're trying to educate the, the public as much as possible. And it's a lot of a lot of guys, as you, you've seen earlier, coming up to the stall and having a little snigger like kids yeah. and running running away again and saying, can we smoke it? And But it's, it's we're, as I said, we're trying to change that in, in the public eye. What's involved in hemp farming? So we, the cooperative can supply the seed and we edu- try to educate people how to grow it and we advise them as best we can and we try to look for markets for their, for their finished product depending on what they want to do. A lot of people want to use their own. A lot of people want to do a bit of research and try to get ahead of the, the curve if, if it eventually does open up properly in the future. What makes it sustainable? Uh, it's 
there's no waste in the whole crop whatsoever. You can use every part of the plant you can, down to the roots. You can make hand creams and stuff with the roots. It's, uh, very high in protein. That's how I originally had done a thesis on hemp grown as an alternative income for Irish farmers. I want. I come from a, a beef farm, and I just I suppose it's an alternative protein compared to everyone eating meat. Mm. It's the perfect vegan supplement. I know it's not an, an, a, a light word in the farming community, but everyone can't eat meat. The whole 10 billion world population, and it's the most. Uh, digestible protein has perfect omega-6 to omega-3 ratio it can be used for building bags you can make clothes you can make it sales for ships for in the world war one uh, so it sounds like it's probably the most diverse yeah. crop that we have yeah some yeah. people would say it's a silver bullet for climate change and everyone talks about the circular economy and but it's for me it's it was just an amazing i just think it's a fantastic crop and it should be treated as an agricultural crop and not as this stigmatized drugs little snigger do we have many hemp farmers in Ireland? So we have 160 members, but about half of them will be farmers and maybe 10, 15 processors, if even that. Uh, Ed Hanbidge is my name from uh, the hemp farm in County Wicklow. When did you get into farming hemp? In 2015 was the, the year that I sowed the first crop, and it was a fibre crop. And the problem I found at that time was just finding a market for the, for the fibre. So I persevered for another couple of years. Again, just could not get a market for because of the processing. Um, to process the fibre, you're looking at a decorticator, and it's just a huge, big-scale investment. You're looking at millions for a decorticator. So we then switched in 2018 over to a seed variety. Uh, Fenola was the variety that we grew. And then we started processing that seed in 2019 to make uh, hemp seed oil hemp seed protein and then we also do a small amount of the CBD oil. Mm. So we were, were really we just had to look at adding value to the produce to the seed that we grew and that's that's where the, the different products came about. We just just had to learn by doing, just started at it and now we're we have uh, five different products. We have the, the hemp seed oil, we have a BAM uh, with fibre, CBD oil and then the uh, protein powder then as well. Do you think more Irish farmers are, are opening up to the idea of growing hemp? Uh, I know Owen talked about the, the stigma there. Personally I feel that that stigma is very much waning, that the, the jokes aren't as much as they used to be. Now it's how do I use this product, how do I grow it and who's buying it. So they're, yes, they're very much open to it but, but farmers have always been open to trying something new so this is just a new product what's needed now is just uh, a market and that they know that they can grow it and it's sold from the field straight away that's what farmers mostly want is there any awkwardness or difficulties with it at all in terms of, of growing it will you come across problem i know you will with everything but is hemp any better any worse than anything else you grow very similar very similar because you're you're going to your plow till so uh your weather uh, the dependent, weather dependent yeah. yeah you're fighting the elements um but i feel that it is quite a, an easy crop to grow and um, there's misconceptions there that it'll grow anywhere it won't perform everywhere mm. so it is a tillage crop so you are looking at the at the more the tillage areas for to get a return on investment you know you're, you're a good crop good yielding uh, you really need the, the the good ground now in saying that we have very uh, sandy soil and we seem to get on very well with it so we're 
we wouldn't have been traditionally a tillage farm, but we seem to get on very well growing the, the hemp. But anyone who's maybe looking to diversify their farm in any way and, and grow hemp, where's the best place to go to get information? Just send an email to Hemp Cooperative or go onto any of the social media, Hemp Cooperative Ireland, search it or info at hempcooperativeireland.com. We normally advise people to start off with a half an acre or an acre and find out exactly how to grow it, do their apprenticeship as we call it, rather than some people go gung-ho, think they're going to be millionaires, grow yeah. 20 acres and it doesn't. It just turns into more hassle than anything. Then, and then I suppose like the most people mentioned, Miss Cantus, all the, all the farmers that got shafted years ago, that it was, they were told it was the next big thing and yeah. grow loads of it and then there was nowhere for it to go. So we don't want to give, we try to be realistic enough and give people the the real world view on it as opposed to, yeah, yeah, you're going to make X per acre and every farm is different and there's so many different variables. It's, it's impossible. Like people will say, how much am I going to make in the first year? How much will I make the second year? It's how long is a piece of string. Yeah. Hours to Protect. Brought to you by Tip FM, the IBI and funded by Commission Naman. With the television license fee, check out ourstoprotect.ie for more info. And of course, we have ours to protect uh, for you every single Monday here on uh, the program. Uh, just before we go, thanks to everybody who was on to us this morning to say how much they enjoyed uh, our weekend away. Uh, that was at uh, the West County in Ennis. Yep, we had a ball. Fantastic time. So many people from Tipperary and indeed all around the country uh, made their way to uh, Ennis for a weekend of uh, dancing. And yes, I will see most of you tonight in uh, the Templemore Arms as well. Looking forward to that. That's it from me, uh, Emma Produced, and uh, Stephen's on the way with the Time Tunnel. And I will talk to you tomorrow. You look after yourselves now, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.